Paco, yeah, it's Paco Otake. Okay, I've pressed the yeah. button. I have pressed the button. The light is green. We're going to cue the intro. The train wreck is about to begin. No, 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 no. Coco Talk would like to thank our patrons who sponsor our show, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Levy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Riker, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the only show in the world featuring David Ladd. It's time to grease your weasel and do whatever yo pleasel, cause we're about to rock your 8-bit world. We're here, everybody. It's Saturday. It's 2 o'clock. You know what time it is? It is time for the Coco Talk train wreck to leave the station. I will be the conductor today. We've got a panel of all kinds of folks here, and we've got great content in store for you. And we've even got Samuel Gimes. So a little bit of everything. Uh, Ron Delvo, big fan of Samuel Gimes. And we've got all kinds of people watching us live already. One of the early birds was Kevin Holloway, and then Chuck Allison was there, and then Dave Phillipson has joined us, and Tim Linder's out there, and Mikey is out there. Alexander Wallace, our friend from Mexico, is out there. Uh, Buenos tardes, and Sixie is here. Tom Eric Gunderson, Nick Morata is in the house. Jim Rye, Mark Overholzer. The audience keeps growing. We're here, and we're sorry. We're going to jump right in, and we're going to go around and introduce the panel. The guy who's Johnny on the spot with the links to the news and so much more, Mark D. Overholzer is here. Yeah, Brad Beer. The guy who's been carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders for these past two weeks, keeping the train on the tracks, Mark Bosley's here. Hey, Mark. Hello, everybody. The man with the beard that drives women wild, Patrick Eulin, is here. Hey, Rick. Howdy, folks. We got a special guest who we'll get to learn more of here in just a minute, but Pedro Pena is here today. Hello, Pedro. Hello, everybody. 
And from Arizona, Ron Delvaux in the house. Yes, I'm here. And uh, the chat keeps coming in. Ken Reichert says, Gimes is here. Goodbye. I'm out of here. Retro Eng says, hello, everybody. And our foreign correspondent from O Canada, L. Curtis Boyles here. Good afternoon. And how's it going? Hello, hello everyone. And, and welcome to our guest host, Stevie Strobridge. No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Filling in for Mark Bosley today is Stevie Stroh. John Lowry's in the house. He works for Apple. We won't hold that against him. How you doing, Johnny? Hey, everybody. All right. Alan Murphy's here, the guy with the blogs and the games and the sound stuff. How you doing there, Alan? I'm doing all right. How's everybody else doing? Oh, we're doing, we're doing. Man, whose name is so nice. We must say it thrice. You know him. You love him. It's none other than... How are we doing today, Nico? Well, Stevie, you exposed my secret. My last name is actually pronounced Murata, but I didn't want to correct you guys. So Marotta is my stage name. Nick so, uh, Marotta. <laughs> we have a oh, very, you're so famous you have a stage name. I'm that's jealous. It. That's it. That's fine. <laughs> the man who takes live streaming literally. He gets thinner by the t- every time I see this guy. Pretty soon he's going to be translucent. But Grant Leedy's here. How you doing there, Grant? You skinny, sexy beast. <laughs> hey, how's it going, guys? Glad to be here. Yeah, good to see you. We have a guy who is known for saying things like, Thank you. Yes, you're too kind. And thank you. And also saying things like, it's been an incredible journey. It's none other than president of RK Corporation, Dick Adams. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is good to see you, Rick. Uh, thank you. You're not kind enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the mail. Great to have you here. The, the, the guy who coined the phrase. Oh, Rocky. The thunder from down under. Nicholas Morentes is with us. Hello, Nick. Oh, he's he's sleeping. <laughs> he's, he's waiting sleeping. for his he's waiting for his turn in the in the spotlight. Yes, so he'll sleep until then. Uh, another celebrity is with us here today. None other than it is early. And not only that, but wrong button. David Ladd. <laughs> hey, David. David, how are you feeling today? And how are you feeling about this show today? Oh, I'm just sitting here playing some Battlefield 4, killing some people, and I'm just waiting for this train wreck to get rolling along the tracks to see who we can squash on the way. All right. And on that note, I'm going to put on the brakes and say, stop right there. It's none other than Jason, the Coco Man Reichert. How are you today, Jason? Howdy, howdy. And just remember... Eight out of ten David Ladd impersonators recommend Coco Top. <laughs> Screw them other two. All right. So we do. Hey, wait. We have, um, I'm trying to look at my screen here right now. So we have, we have actually have a topic today. Uh, that topic, we are going to talk about a Coco 2 clone board that we're going to call the blue board ironically enough because that is the actual color of the board and to talk to us about that board is our special guest today pedro so how you doing pedro thanks for joining us uh thank you thank you for having me on and Uh, no pressure you just have a hundred thousand people in the world watching you right now that you need to somehow entertain and go (laughs) (laughs) I feel the pressure. <laughs> I think it's more like less than 100. Yeah, yes. I thought it was 20. <laughs> well, one person is enough. There's 100,000 people sleeping while trying to watch the show. But <laughs> the rest are sleeping. 
I know I put my wife to sleep when I explain this to her. <laughs> well, uh, well. Anyways, uh, so uh, let me see. Where do I start? Well, uh, I think it was January. Well, my first computer was a Coco Two. Uh, as a kid, you know, uh, it was a hand-me-down. Um, some body from the family said, you know, I don't need this anymore. You can have it. And then I plugged it into my TV and I fell in love with it. And uh, for a number of years there, you know, that's it was my introduction to computers. It was my introduction to electronics. And, you know, it's what got me started on my path, you know, the path that I took uh, eventually. And now you're so, a brain surgeon? <laughs> and now, exactly. I, <laughs> I do something completely unrelated. <laughs> I work in the ocean, hmm. but, uh, but so, you know, I, I was like, you know, I, I got to get back to this. And over the years I was like, you know, I need to buy myself a Coco too. I got to get back into it. You know, I got to get reacquainted with it. And so a couple months ago, uh, I was watching, uh, um, retro recipes, uh, very fractic. And he had a nice episode, which I recommend where he actually used the Commodore 64 to send messages to the international space station. And I was like, I felt like a kid again when I saw that. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to do the same thing someday, but I'm going to do it with a Coco. I don't want to do it with a C64 because that was my first computer. So then I went ahead and I bought a Coco and, you know, started messing with it. Then I bought a, a board from, from Ed Snyder uh, to get, um, you know, composite out and all that. And then I got a second Coco that didn't work. And it was, you know, very frustrating because I really couldn't figure out what it was. I mean, I knew it had a bad salt chip and, you know, and a couple of other things that I had replaced. But, it, you know, it, I knew that the parts that were in there were functioning. And so more or less at the same time, uh, I learned about the BitPreserve project, which is a fantastic project started by uh, James Lewis, uh, a.k.a. the uh, bald engineer, um, where, you know, he, he says, well, we got a bunch of uh, ancient schematics out there, you know, that they're hard to read and all that. And people still use them to repair these old systems. But so why don't we just get together and sort of transcribe these things into a usable format, a modern usable format that, uh, that, you know, that we can actually, you know, store and use and maybe do something. with them. So then I was like, Oh, you know what? I can do that. You know, I, I think I can, I can copy one of these schematics. So I chose the Coco two. No one had started it and, uh, and transferred the, you know, I captured the schematic and I said, okay, great. I'm done. Uh, but there's still the one problem, which actually James uh, mentioned, was that, uh, you know, the schematics are copied, but there's really no way to verify whether or not, you know, other than probing a board, right? And I said, you know, I think I'm going to make a PCB. That'd be a great way, you know, to actually confirm that the schematic is good and that it was captured correctly. So then I started, you know, putting it together. And so I, I work out in the ocean and, uh, you know, sometimes I want a boat for a month. And then, you know, after, you know, your shift is up, what you do is you know, usually people just sit around and, you know, watch, you know, a movie or something or read books and then go to bed. Right. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to finish this, this PCB. And so every night after work, I would sit down and I just work on the PCB and work on it and work on it and work on it until it was done basically when I got off the boat. And then uh, I ordered it and got it in the mail and it, it mostly worked. It actually mostly <laughs> I was surprised. You know, there were very few problems with it. Usually it's not the case with a board. Usually you get a board and you get it and you're like, oh, this trace doesn't go there. Oh, wait a minute. I needed a trace there. And you know, all sorts of things that happened uh, with the board. But uh, it, it mostly worked. And then, you know, I that's you know, I made a video then. I put that video up uh, and uh, I got some, you know, uh, some likes on that one, which was unexpected. And then I got contacted 
you know, from you guys. I, I put it up thinking, you know, maybe somebody can find this useful one day. I had no idea that there are people looking at this really and interested. So then I fixed that board up and then I got my latest revision, which is, this is not the latest revision, this is the next one. And this is why we called it a blue board because it's blue. And, and the reason I didn't pick green to show the boards is that, you know, if I showed it, you know, uh, in a video and it looks green and it has the same layout as a regular board, well, everyone's going to say, well, that's just a regular cocoa board. And he didn't do right. anything right. special there. Um, so, so that's pretty, a little bit of why, you know, I actually went out and, and did it. Uh, there are a couple of other things, but that's, I mean, that's, that's the ba and that's basically what it is. And then I have, um, I have some, I could show you the schematic and the board. I got a 3D rendition. I was thinking maybe I could bring that up if that was okay. Yeah, yeah. If you want to screen share, be happy to. Yeah. So what's so, your background in designing circuit boards? Do you do this for a living or is this strictly a hobby? Well, uh, right now, so for a living I do, I, I don't always design circuit boards. Uh, at work, mostly I'm more of a technician in terms of maintaining equipment, but we do make new things when we need to. And, I, and I've recently I've been working on several projects, but my training, you know, I am, I am an engineer. Okay. And so I, I, I do understand and know that I did learn this stuff in school. And, uh, but, you know, as a hobby, I do this sort of stuff as well on the side. So I'll make boards on the side and that. You know, and sometimes, you know, I've sold a couple boards, but I'm not really into that. I'm just, I like, you know, just goofing around and making things, basically. Now, is this something that if you, if this becomes a successful thing that a lot of people want to get and you, and you, you don't want to be a manufacturer and a reseller and stuff, is that something you would let somebody else sell on your behalf and maybe work with them? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, in fact, it's open source. The whole thing is available for anyone to download right now and, and they, you know, can do that if they want. So was it your idea to just make it the same as the cocoa that we, you know, always loved, or did you make some enhancements like with video and so, replace the salt chip with other? Yeah. Circuitry? So when I started making the board, right, I thought I might as well add the enhancements because, well, you know, I know that no one uses RF anymore. The salt chip is such a pain; and it can be easily designed out. You know, and I, I thought things along those lines. And then, you know, a little bit into it, I was like, you know, what I really need to do is make, you know, a baseline, make sure it works. And my goal, well, one of many, but I did want to drop in replacement. Uh, but my goal was that I wanted to make it so similar to the original board in terms of layout and, and uh, component orientation that I, I could actually use a service manual to troubleshoot it and fix it. And that's what I did. And so I actually, and a bunch of other videos out there. In fact, I was going to use uh, one of the videos that AC uh, put out because his videos are so well put together. And I was going to use that to troubleshoot the board because I definitely expected issues. And there were, there were issues. Uh, but, you know, I, I broke out the manual and I, I just started probing, you know, like the manual said. And, you know, within 15 minutes, I, I had, you know, the big problem that it had found and corrected because of the manual. And so uh, I'm glad I took that route of just making a baseline. 
Um, but now that there is a working board, you know, I mean, now uh, I plan on branching it off and have many branches where, for example, one idea that I have is to make a surface mount version where most of the components are surface mounts. So you can just, you know, you have it ordered and the manufacturer, the PCB manufacturer, you just send it to you already with the components on where you'd only have to solder in a handful of them. And so that would make assembly way easier and probably bring the cost down quite a bit as well. Um, and of course, the other additions, like you know, uh, you know, uh, maybe a slot for Coco VGA, maybe have the, you know, uh, S video built in, uh, the composite built in, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. Well, you know, I mean, you can do so many things. Uh, I think now uh, with this real time clock. <laughs> you know what? I was gonna put in a real time clock in there, but I, I, I didn't have tape to tape it on and show it on the show. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, you know, um, so one thing that I thought might be, I really don't know if anyone even would want one of these boards, you know, I don't know if it's, if there's a, you know, a market for it, uh, not in terms of making market, but a market in terms of need. Uh, but you know, I, I, watching all these videos and all these projects that, you know, you guys have put together, you know, um, for example, I see Ed Snyder and AC, uh, have two independent video solutions, you know. I'd be great if they got together and said, you know, we could come up with a common uh, sort of footprint, you know, uh, and then I could have a board with that footprint. So, you know, you can have the option yeah. of, you know, putting in yeah. the different, uh, you know, video solutions. Because I would like both an HDMI or, sorry, Coco DV solution and a VGA solution. Um, so, you know, those sorts of things can happen, you know, I, now that there's a working board, I think, you know. What did you do regarding the ROMs? So right now, the ROM that's on there is the one that I took off uh, the donor board, basically. So, you know, I guess that's a, that's a legal gray area, right? I guess if you own it, it's fine, you know, from everything I've read. You know, it's your equipment. Uh, but, you know, I didn't download any ROMs or anything. I just used the one that I had. Right. So, so would, the original uh, need for this was you had a cocoa where the chips were good, but the board was bad. So you just needed a new motherboard. Yes. And so you took all the chips from a real cocoa and just put them on your new board and then it worked yes or mostly yes. worked like you said mostly right. worked yeah yeah and so one of the goals also was to have new components so i i tried to source as many which is the longest part of the whole thing source you know components that are you know my criteria uh were basically new components that are routinely stocked you know and that seem like they will be stocked for a long time so you don't have this sort of you know, and you can do that with the passive com components for the most part you know and so i it took me a while to find you know the components to do that and i did uh even you know the din connectors maybe i can show the board here mm -hmm. the other thing is uh socket everything that that is man that is gorgeous thank you thank you did you socket everything everything is socketed that's good. That, that makes it very <laughs> serviceable. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike that the later looks, Tandy models. That looks quite godly. Yeah. Hold, hold that up again and just pause it for a minute. Let us let us just soak that in. <laughs> hold it up a little higher. Like okay. Look at that. That is, man, that is and it's so shiny. Look how shiny it is. And oh my goodness. And now that, like, now oh, that yeah. you uh, now that I'll you learned you. all about uh, how the machine works, is there a place where you could possibly Gimme eyes it later. Well, so you know, I'm learning about the gimme, right? 
Uh, so there's room on the board. So, you know, enhancements, right? So maybe we can, you know, get all the, the RAM chips into a single, you know, a single chip or something, you know, that, that frees up some real estate. Um, you know, engineer out the salt chip. Uh, what else can you do? Uh, get a ROM chip, you know, single ROM chip, you know, instead of the two that holds both. Things like that you could do. And then there's a whole under, underside of the board that isn't used at all. There are no components on the bottom of the board except maybe two capacitors. But like, you know, all the surface mounts, if we do a surface mount one, right? If I go out and do one, all those components can go on the underside, which frees up the top. You know, so there are things that can be done to free up space to put in a gimme or anything else. Right. But the, the good thing about this design is this is designed to be completely compatible to slap it in a Coco 2 case, right? So all the holes this are going to line up and and everything, right? Like you talked yes. about the DIN connectors. Ports. They're going to, yep. ports are all going to line up on the back of the case. So yeah. You had an old cocoa that had bad traces on it, and or just was a dirty board. You, know, you hear about the the capacitors that go bad after time, the leaky caps or whatever it is. So, yeah. this is um, you can just take the some of the chips like your uh, your VDGs and your and your um, your sixty eight oh nines and those things, and just pop them in in your ROMs, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So even. Oh, here's Not a good suggestion. Thing. So, so Tim Lindner is saying uh, make room for ZIF sockets. For those who don't know, that's your zero insertion force with like your little uh, crowbar that you pull down to lock it into place. He's also saying change your power supply to use like a USB wall wart if possible. That would be a yep. nice. Um, a USB C is what I was thinking. USB C. There you go. Ooh. There you go. Look at you. Yeah. Need the amps, Power supplies for uh, like the uh, Raspberry Pis. So. Yeah. Now, what, what particular board uh, or case uh, does this Coco have? Because is it a um, American one? Is it a Korean one? Is yeah, it, I see it's a melted keyboard. It's the American, it's American. one, it's I got, believe. The got, you know with the, the vertical RF. The vertical RF can. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's you know haven't they changed uh, where the sockets go in the back on a couple of different versions? Yeah. So the other. The other Coco 2 that I've seen, yeah, the it's a slightly different, uh, slightly different on the back end. You know, a board would have to be made, which shouldn't be too hard now that this one is made. Um, that would exactly. fit that footprint. Yeah, there's there's also a version that where they combine the ROMs into a single chip. Yeah, there's the two the two socket RAM upgrade versions versus the eight socket for the 4464s versus 4164. Right. I think to keep things simple, you probably want to like pick one base now that you know that the basic board design is working properly, and then you'll kind of figure out which ones are the easiest one to source parts for type thing, and then you know make that the base for the new ones, and then you can start adding in, you know, you know here's you can plug a Coco VJ, and here you can plug in a composite or an S video mod or whatever type thing. Yeah, exactly. Another thing I was thinking of is uh, you said you were sourcing these parts. So they'd be more common. Would they also be faster so that uh, like memory chips would be faster and would keep up with newer stuff or does um, it matter? I, I don't think, I don't think the newer components would uh, affect the, the speed. Uh, well, you mean speed in terms of, uh, well, like the memory chips are what? 150. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, okay. Maybe yeah, faster twenties or even... like the higher, oh, the the faster refresh rate for the RAM or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, which I believe Brendan's uh, Sam doubler thing, which actually lets the Coco two run at full double speed, like the Coco three does, RAM and ROM. Uh, I think actually requires like one twenty nanosecond RAMs to you know not occasionally crash. Right, but ah. now you're at the point where anything that's been done to a Coco two 
you could do to your board pretty much. Yeah. Right. You've proven right. the so, basics. And if it's open source, somebody who knows how to do this. And what what's the um, what's the engineering? So are you using like Eagle or KiCad or what are you doing to design? Yeah, KiCad. Right. Or, you know, so, I don't even know how it's pronounced. KiCad or KiCad. <laughs> <laughs> People, the same presenter at a KiCad conference will use both pronunciations in their talk. <laughs> so the only thing I know is Linux is pronounced Linux, but I can't tell yeah. you if it's KiCad or KiCad. Um, but yeah. Well, KiCad. That's what I call yeah. it. And it's, it's KiCad. <laughs> so somebody who's familiar with that software and circuitry could take your design and then tweak it to meet their needs. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Right. They can download it and immediately start editing it. And there is a learning curve to KiCad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think it's worth the effort. You know, there are bunch of EDA programs out there that are much easier to use, you know, but they're expensive. And then you got things like vendor lock-in and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, this is completely open source. It's free. Um, and, uh, you know, the learning curve is worth it. You know, um, there's a little bit more work behind it, but it's it's accessible to everyone afterwards. Have you seen Ed's uh, Coco 2 that he made? I've since seen it, yes. The, the Coco 2 Plus, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw it. Very nice. I was very impressed. I saw it and I was like, oh, man, it's already done. I did all this for nothing. This guy already has it done. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, but yours is a board replacement, which is important yeah. for people who have systems that they want to preserve, yeah. you know, uh, keeping this all is this. the first system. drop-in replacement. Yeah, absolutely. Seen. And it's a drop-in for most. Th- I mean, a drop-in for the chips, certainly, but not. Uh, well, it's not drop-in for everything. Like, for example, I tried to make it drop-in for the DIN connector so you can repurpose those and it mostly worked except for the four pin one but i've already changed that so if anyone does order the revision that's online the all the din sockets should fit but these are new din sockets uh that you can buy now that have a slightly different uh footprint i'm going to ask a question that sounds like i know what i'm saying but i really don't but how many layers is that board It's a two-layer board. Okay. All right. I know what the question is, but I don't even know what it means. But for anybody who was wondering... It means it's, it's cheaper. A, okay. <laughs> Not a layer cake, Stevie. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Phillips so had our, a question from uh, the chat. He wanted to know if you'd found a source for the ground clips to go on the cartridge. Uh, so these... I, I think I know what he's asking. These ground clips that go on the cartridge connector... On the top, yeah, I did not find those. I looked all over the place. I didn't. Ha- I don't even know what they're called. I looked clips. I looked for uh, protectors. I, I looked. I, it drove me crazy. But you know, I didn't. I had other things that I had to spend time on. So I was like, well, you know, I'll leave that. You know, I'll look it up in a forum sometime somewhere. So and you that's just use the donated ones from the other board, or what? Actually, I on this here, you can see, I didn't. I didn't put in the clips at all. It's just right to the plastic. If you, okay. You know, okay. So they're not even necessary, do you think? I don't think they're necessary. I don't. I think they're gonna make a good ground connection between the cartridge and the board. Well, except that, you know, the screw really doesn't touch, uh, you know, the edges of the hole, and it's a plastic connector. So I don't know really. If, you know, I guess I'd have to probe it, but I, I don't. I don't think they were touching ground at all. Unless yeah, it's different on another cartridge. There's a pad beneath the connector itself and the top of the board that oh, it clamps down on when you run the screw in. Now, does the cartridge have? Uh, uh, it does. 
Ground there, connector there's there? A, okay. There's a shield trace that runs around the cor- the edges of the cartridge board that those yes. clips socket into. Oh, so there's okay, an okay. extra shield around the edges, sort of. Oh, so maybe I should look a little harder for those. That I've, I've never, never found that right angle connector. Or, I mean, is that part. something you could just re-engineer if you don't need to find that part? Just to figure out some way to make that trace hit go back to ground with, and have the screws make that I contact. mean, if you, I guess you know, if you that bend... It looks like an extrusion that, that you know, is long, and then they just cut it. You know what I mean? That a company could make. Yeah. Yeah, like an extruded... Yeah, I see. I yeah. see. Yeah. Or a piece of, you know, sheet metal, I guess you can just make one and sort of Okay, so it. Dave Phillips is now saying that those clips are not highly necessary. So. Well, something could be made. You know, I don't think if it's to bring ground, you know, to the, to the cartridge, you know, there are a couple of ways I think it could be done. Uh, maybe, you know, if it connects at the top, um, you know, maybe in a revision of the board, you could have a screw that somehow makes contact but i don't know i gotta think about I'm, that. I'm gonna guess the three appropriate letters are fcc yeah that would be my okay. guess too <laughs> you know how uh some cocos had um, a couple of white strips that you could plug a board into probably not the one that you used for your oh. board what are you talking about white that? strips yeah, what, what's white strips they're, they're for extra memory to upgrade with on some some of these, oh, the header, I mean the header. the header socket for yeah. the satellite board. Well, yeah, I wondered if he thought about putting something like that in, so you could have like 128k and do uh, bank switching and stuff. You know, that's another upgrade option sometime. Yeah, I mean, all sorts of ideas. Uh, you know, uh, I've had all sorts of ideas, and uh, you know, a lot of people have had ideas, and we can do anything now that we have a working board. I mean, uh, right. like Rick said earlier, you know, it's anything that was done to the Coco two can theoretically be done to this. Yeah. Like the Moo board for the dragon does up to 512 K and that's kind of already got the MMU and stuff built into it for modern dragons. And that's basically a, a Coco reference design or Motorola reference design since Coco one and two was. <laughs> it will, will be interesting. If you get an SMT version of this put together, how much space you have for multiple mods, so you can put this or this or this because now I have space to put three different footprints yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And Pandora's uh, box has been opened. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you actually know all this, uh, all the um, circuitry in your head as to how it works? And or did well, you just? Uh, more or less, you know. I know. You know. I, I do understand that there's a CPU and that it uses the SAM. Uh, to, you know, um, sort of control access to the RAM uh, and access to, you know, uh, the PDG um, and the PIAs, exactly that sort of stuff. So generally, yes, I do understand, you know, how it works. Now, am I one of the guys who designed it and can sit down and say, oh, yeah, you know, pin 12 on so-and-so, there's a trace. No, uh, not to that level. But, yeah, I'm generally, I, I understand how, how it works. Uh, do you think you have the same understanding as Ed with the board he made? What, what was that? Do I what? Do you think? Do you think you and Ed have the same knowledge since you know you came up with this and he made that? Well, I've been seeing sure. some of his work, uh, and I think somebody told me he it was a Cylon. Cylon, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He seems to you know he he seems to be way above. You know. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Um, you were you, had, you said you were going to show some uh, like that 3D render that oh, you yes. had, 
and the overlays that you did to show how you designed the board. I will, yeah. Okay, so, all right, let me see. How do I use this program? You can, there's a green button somewhere that says share screen, yeah. The bottom center. There you go. Okay, so no. can you guys see that? Yes, we can. So first, this is my repository. Uh, it's uh, github.com forward slash Cuban Q-E-A-N. coffee. <laughs> Cuban oh, yeah. cafe yeah. cubano. Yeah. Hey. Oh, well, wrong repository. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me go to the right one. Resistance is futile. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I wish, I really wish I had come up with that, but I saw that years ago somewhere. I'm like, oh, I got to use it, you know. <laughs> But uh, I can't take credit for it, but I love it. It's fantastic. I did draw that, though. I did draw that. That's cool. Um, so, okay, so it's uh, Cuban Coffee Bit Reserve, okay? And so this is a fork of the original uh, project um, by the Bald Engineer, and you can go to the original one here. This is the main branch. Okay. Okay, and I just forked it, and I add my, I'm adding my stuff, and, you know, as I add my stuff, he merges it to his branch. So if you want to get the latest stuff, you just go to mine. Um. And so there are a bunch of systems here that uh, he's, you know, he's put directories in for people to start on. Some people have started on some of them. Some are empty. But the one we're interested in is here. Okay. And it's the 3026. This is one we're doing. But you know, this covers both of them. Nice. And so, and so basically here, this is the project. So you download this whole thing, and then this is where you would access, you know, the schematic and PCB layout. Okay. All right. So then that's where you can get it. And uh, I bring up. So is this board T1 compatible? T1? Uh, yeah. The T1 VDG no. chip. It's got a different pinout. Yeah. The regular that's VDG. a different. Yeah. That's a different printout. I think it was it two pins different or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head, but there's that's a few pins different. It's not pin, not pin compatible with the original yeah. 6847. But that's something that could be added in, I guess. Okay, so actually, just before you go into the details here, I just want to catch up on some of the chat here uh, before it scrolls off on me. So Dave Phillipson said there are two conductors on the cartridge connector that already supply ground, and I'm sure there are many boards out there that do not even have pads or use the ground clips. Um, Well, this so this symbol here, right? This is the cartridge connector, and you can see there's one ground, two ground, three ground, four ground. So there are four ground contacts already going in. So, you know, who said that's FCC quiet. earlier? Maybe, you know. Yeah, that's it's for RF. They've got a big ground pad around the edges of the board. Yeah. Just it didn't help because a disc controller plug-in would always give you extra noise. So. <laughs> Probably made it worse. Right. So, so th- this is the general layout, you know, of the subsystems as I, you know, I thought I could organize them. So what I'm basically, why I'm basically showing this is like, hey, if you guys know better, and maybe this can be reorganized and cleaned up for future use. You know, please let me know. You know, that's why I showed this here. But this is the schematic. And you can go into each subsystem. For example, you can go into the CPU and see the CPU and see how, you know, it's laid out. And then, oh, come on, zoom. And then uh, the really messy one, which this is the peripheral, what I call the peripheral sheet. You know, it's got the, uh, you know, it's got the, the 6822 and the 6821. But mainly it's got the salt chip in there. I didn't know where to put the salt chip. I don't know. Is that, you know, does it go with power? Does it go with, you know, peripherals? Because it does a little of both, you know? So I just threw it in there. Anyways, this is, you know, it's there. You know, you guys can look at this is the actual schematic, you know, as I copied it from uh, Matt. 
So then the PCB is here, okay? All right, and we got it laid out here. Uh, let me turn off some of the layers. You can see the components. And so I copied the position of the components, all right? Um, and and this, was, this, this was not easy, okay? Uh, trying to measure things, but I had a little trick. So I did a little thing that this is a nice thing that um, uh, KiCad has. Let me see here, let me this up. So from the manual, I just took, you know, this image, the board layout, right? Sort of straightened it out and, uh, you know, massaged it a little bit with, uh, I think it was either GIMP or, or Inkscape, but, you know, whatever, an image manipulation program. One of those capacitors is crooked. Can you straighten that out for me real quick? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Took me six hours to straighten that thing. <laughs> so uh, what I was able to do, I was in, able to import that thing as a footprint. Just um, kind of trace over it? And trace and yeah. It's Did you have to here, set actually. like a base scale of one of the chips I to, had to, to set size for that? Well, so what I did was, and this is why the board was a little bigger, is when I sized it, um, you know, in in uh, in Inkscape, I used the measurements I took from my reference board, and so I was off by a couple of millimeters. And so everything just goes. So it's an actual picture, right? So it scales up, you know, according just fine, right? So everything was just a little bit too big the first time around. And so I'll show you, you know, what it looks like here. Uh, so I'll, I'll place a component, right? And I have it under my Coco 2 folder here. And then I have my layout. And so that is what that looks like after I scanned it in. And so I was able to just set that down and start, you know, placing components. Okay. And so at first, so this made, this helped a lot. And then once all that was down and I more or less, you know, had them where they're going to go. And then I started, you know, measuring. Uh, you know, I picked an edge and started measuring from the edge to make sure we were there. And so, but I also took the time to um, uh, to make sure all the components were in the right orientation as, you know, they are on the board for the troubleshooting later on. So then what KiCad also allows you to do with a little bit of work, not much, uh, you can render this in 3D. And if my computer ever... Is a computer from 2010 or 2011. So here it is. Wow, look at that. Woohoo! Rotate. <laughs> look at that. Fancy wow. schmancy. Look at all those solder pins on the bottom there. Look at that. That's gorgeous. So Thanks there are two, to two components. The There's bottom. your two capacitors two. in the bottom there, huh? The two capacitors. And I, at first I figured, I, I asked, why the heck is that down there? And then I realized, you know, it's just there's so much heat coming off, yeah. you know, this thing here that they were going to cook. So they just put yeah. it down there. The that is gorgeous. Yeah. All right, yeah, straighten it out. Let's just soak that in for a minute. That is just, oh, <laughs> look at that. Just soak it in, everybody. Look at that. I think I, saw, I think I saw a cold solder joint on the bottom there, too. <laughs> <laughs> all of this uh, happened. Know, all of this happened before and will happen again. I like that. <laughs> that is straight out of Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> Cylon related, and this is uh, totally a coincidence. Uh, uh, I swear, because I love the series, uh, and I had to put it on there because you know. Now you're talking about the classic BSG or the 2005 no. sci-fi remake. This is the 2005 okay. remake, which right. the classic BSG. You know, I've I've tried to watch a couple times, and 
I just, for Unless one reason or another, can't, can't do it. The ladies and their hairspray make up for the poor uh, plot and acting. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you have HJK on your forehead. <laughs> hey, wasn't that uh, was it the Red Dwarf? <laughs> so, so out of curiosity, as you were putting this together and yeah. you, you built your board and you're working out the schematic, did you actually find any errors in the schematic that you had to correct? So as you're doing wait. this. So in the schematic, I found that uh, there were maybe uh, two or three components. There were some components that were either not included or were there that weren't on the board. And so, uh, but other than that, uh, the only, so the issue that I had was with a model I used for uh, the SAM chip. And the model didn't come from the schematic. It was a model that someone had created, a symbol someone had created for uh, KiCad. And then that was my problem, not so much the schematic uh and so i that I mean it's a testament uh to radio shack you know actually organizing and putting this out you know it was so good the manual was so good and the schematic was so good that it, it mostly worked the first time so i did find just that that there were components that weren't on the board or or you know components that were on the board that weren't in the schematic just just that and that could have just been revisions of the motherboard because there was multiple ones from tandy yeah it's a coca exactly. one and two progress so Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what well, I did want to show you something else uh, here. What the heck? As you're, as you're bringing that up, one of the, one of the kind of things we've kind of joked around over the years is why did Tandy do that? Did you come across anything like that as you were doing that? It's like, why oh. did they do it that way? <laughs> uh, well, um, I know you were trying well, to make it a basically an original of it, but it, as you were doing this, did anything ever scratch your head? It was like, why did they do it that way? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, uh, not, only one time, and, and it's and I may find out I may find out why, and I, I should have included it here. Like, why was this not? And I don't know if you've seen this uh, this footprint before, but so this footprint for the RF can, you know, it's you know I have these like this, right? These slotted holes. Well, up here there, you know, there's another slot down here, and, and I know it's like so you can bend the legs. And I'm like, why did they do it that way? That was the only time. Yeah, basically, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. I'll throw in a couple um, more comments from the chat here too quickly. Uh, Tom Eric Anderson said a board with AC's digital video and the Coco SDC built in would be kind of cool. And that was a plan that Tandy had talked about uh, doing with internal ROMs for the disc controller and stuff to actually build that on the motherboard. And then Sixie, uh, Kieran Anscombe, the creator of the x emulator, he says, well, one of my Dragons has 120K RAM on board now, albeit with some flaws that mean it won't go double speed because I forgot a thing. So all of that, you know, the expansion with extra RAM, et cetera, is definitely possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh. Feature creep. Yeah, the feature creep has just been rolling in as we've been talking about this. So, yeah. is, uh, <laughs> well, and one, one critical thing the old Cocos had dynamic RAM, so the SAM had to strobe every row to keep the RAM refreshed. Well, now static RAM is cheap, so yeah. you can forget about refreshing it. You can throw in all the RAM you want, and you don't have to go through all those rows. Yeah. So, yeah. that saves. Yeah, yeah. This also runs cooler, right? run cooler well this will run cooler also if we you know you know we put in some you know like um some voltage regulation in there and get <laughs> uh, you know something a little bit uh smarter that we could do these days uh external runs power supply probably would help on it you know what was that oh an external power supply as well yeah yeah are yeah. you saying that the uh, current is not regulated much on this it's, thing yeah well it does have fold over protection uh, but it's a big honking linear regulator, which throws yeah. away lots of heat where you yeah. could make a switching something and yeah, 
Yeah, like an LTC nah. 13 something or other. I gotta say, I, I I know enough about hardware to be dangerous, but I know also enough to know that this is inc- really impressive what you've done, and I just think Thank it's you. super cool. I'm and not a hardware free. guy, but I'm, it's a super cool thing you're doing, and yeah, the fact that it's free and you can download it and people can take that and either produce their own or run with it and, and mutate it how they see fit. Um, oh, and like I said earlier, I have one working board that's in here. Yeah, I've made adjustments online so anybody can go ahead and order the boards and all that. But I do have four boards that I'm not going to use. Okay, They're not the final revision, but if anybody you know wants them, um, you know, so they can populate it themselves and test it. You know, feedback, criticism, you know, changes that need to be made, whatever. That'd be a great help, I think, for uh, yeah. you know getting this thing. Well, fitted, luck- luckily, we're somewhat of neighbors, both being in Southeast Florida. So yeah, Pedro's yeah, yeah. in Pedro's just south of my old neighborhood in miami where i grew up so that's kind of cool yeah um cool coincidences like you said. yeah 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 uh no so this was kind of cool because was this the video you were talking about last week curtis when i was in orlando yes actually, yeah. i have a few of his uh newer videos up on the, the yeah news section so that's too, cool so. so it's not every day that we get because a lot of times we'll be playing a video and then we're like talking to the video speculating and wondering and asking ourselves questions so the fact that we were able to get a hold of you and, and hear it firsthand and then pick your brain and stuff, it's you can't do that with YouTube, you know? So the <laughs> fact that we have the human being here to help us with that is awesome. So I'm, I'm glad again, you found thank that. thank you for having me on. Oh, uh, yeah, anytime, man. You know, you know, yeah. And when you have updates, be sure to you know come back and give yeah. us some updates. I did uh, have uh, artifacting issues, which I solved. Uh, yeah, that's one of the videos you put up recently. Oh, okay. Like yeah. we're instead of the red, they're orange and blue, you got the purple and green or whatever? Or? Yeah. Yeah. That and then you've been working on the RF interference and stuff too, so you got that mostly cleared up. You still got a little bit of snow, I saw, but uh, it's yeah, a lot better. Weird. Was is that so just that was the timing thing? No, what had happened was uh, one of the capacitors was supposed to be one picofarad. I'm sorry, one nanofarad. And I had put in a one picofarad capacitor. Now, uh, one of the capacitors that's, that works in conjunction with the five 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 timer. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, I, I like your comment too. Well, we'll show it on the video there when you you created your little RF interference thing, as you called it. Show <laughs> 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 that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how long have you been doing like retro hobby stuff in the 21st century? Well, uh, so I guess on and off, I've been into old computers for maybe 10 years. And, uh, for the last, maybe, maybe since 2017, uh, I mod, I modded, a, an EMAC, um, you know, so it basically turned it into a VGA monitor, and then I made a retro gaming system out of it because I wanted to, you know, keep the, the the CRT. And then that moved over to an iMac G3 uh, DV, and so I, I, you know, I modded that thing and I made uh, circuit boards for that, put it online. People have recreated it, so I've been doing this, I guess, like online at least, maybe since 2017. You know, like retro okay. stuff. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. And we, we're finding a lot of you, uh, new people like yourself and AC's 8-Bit Zone and a bunch of other folks who are... 8-Bits in the basement. 8-Bits in the basement and, and, in the and Canadians Retro Things. So uh, it's great one, when there's new last, blood coming in and bringing new things to the table. Yeah, Ron, sorry about that. Well, one last question. Um, you know, with all this time you've spent doing that, um, are there varying colors of smoke that come up? Oh, <laughs> I've had a lot of smoke come up over the years. Yes, <laughs> I've had the, I've had a gray smoke, blue smoke. I even had a red smoke one time. Oh, 
and we had to leave the room when that happened. <laughs> it's my lithium battery, I think, or something. Wow. Oh, jeez. Right, well, we got awesome. a lot of show to cover today, and we want to try to get this show done in about three hours, if possible. And we're already looking at... Um, Oh, we're not even an hour in yet, so we're doing good. We're doing good. But um, we're going to keep the train rolling. We're going to keep commercials and breaks and interruptions to a minimum. Pedro, hang out as long as you can if more questions yep. come up. And we really appreciate you being here, sharing it with us. And it's super cool what you're doing there. Um, Thank you. So we're going to where's I'm looking for my buttons. I got way too many buttons here. So we're, we, got a, we got a who's new to Discord, and then we're going to roll straight into Game On. Is Nick Marentes here? Are you awake? Because... Uh, the game on results of dealing with Nick Morenti's game. Uh, paging Nick. Yes. Still okay, like. he is here. All right. So we're going to go ahead and do who's new to Discord, and then we're going to roll into a brand new Samuel Gimes and game on results. So we'll be right back, folks. Not a lot of time for potty breaks. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, who's new to Discord this week. Please welcome Atticope, Tom, Joanne Donaldson, Gary M, Snard, Mike, Lee Does Games, Lex, Magic Fab, Fabian, Joe Bob 256, Bill, Joel, Count Mama Mia 972, Michael, Jamie KO4T, Nobu, Beanie Weenie, Tom, Drake 9800, Miss Morple, Kate, Matman, Wi Fi Sheep, Tom, Erroneous, Daniel, TX Sniper, Patrick, Dreamcat, Zandoff Terra, Philip, Rolfles, Liam, Bob Truefan, Sean H, D97 Dave, Atari Leaf, The Big Geek, Jason, Mike Rayburn, Alba Labs, Albert, and Pedro. Also, special thanks go to our Coco Talk patrons, Paul Fiscarelli and Terry Steggy, for boosting the Discord server. You can join us on Discord by going to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord! And now... Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Does anyone actually know what Angelo is so angry about? <laughs> well, Rondelvo, you got off easy this week. There was no song parody. And that's a great Guess question. I, <laughs> I guess I know what one of the questions for next is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Samuel Gimes, always keeping us on our toes. So let's get to one of Nick Marota's favorite part of the shows. High score challenge with Nick Marota. Hiya, everybody. It's a me, Angry Angelo. And I'm here to talk to you about this week's game on the results for my favorite game, Donut <laughs> Dilemma. We had a 16 players this week, uh, which is about as many versions of this game has been released so far. So that's a good. So let's get into the results. Uh. C. Doris uh, with uh, 100 points and R. Allen Murphy, 2400. Brian Weasler, 4560. Kiana Craker, 4670. Canadian Retro Things, uh, 9690. Atomacia uh, from uh, Jersey, uh, 10,290. Rich End, uh, 11,090. Rick Yu, 12,250. Jim Raya, 12,390. Joshua Craker, 12,680. Mr. Dave, 17,790. 
a Nick Marata, 17,850. <laughs> Cat Lord, the 18,960. Tasman, 35,290. David Craker, 70,210. And the number one scorer this week uh, comes as no surprise. Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. Buck Owens uh, with uh, 80,600 points. Uh, a nice job, Buck. I would also like to give a special thanks uh, to uh, Ella Curtis Boyle for not uh, having uh, five minutes to play the game before supper this week. <laughs> you douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> true. <laughs> Oh. oh, Stevie, good job. Stevie made video this week. That's Baca awesome. Owens, huh? Bucca Owens. Bucca Owens. Bucca. Bucca. Good, good job, Bucca. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good job, Stevie. That's awesome. Oh, Thank you. Good. <laughs> Back off. Back off. <laughs> 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 Makes me want to have some sausage. Mamma <laughs> <laughs> mia. All right, so yeah, that was, we had a, we had sixteen people this week, and uh, congratulations to uh, Buck Owens and uh, everybody. We had some really good scores. It was it was a good turnout and good uh, good competition. You, oh, it's not a competition, but you know what I mean. A good a good uh, participation. Com- it, it's a competition. Let's yeah. No. <laughs> so you guys see my screen? Yes. Yep. For those who couldn't read the text as it scrolled up, that's what Angry Angelo has struck again. So that's what it says when the game starts up. So thank mm. you to Canadian Retro Things for uh, doing the uh, gameplay footage again this week. And uh, yeah, so um, this is a good game. I really enjoy it. And I'm not just saying that because we have the creator of the game with us here. Hey, Nick. Oh, uh, yeah. The 50 bucks works, right? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very cheap. I will mention Buck Owens actually put a video up in the Discord too of actually showing you know him wrapping the levels. Yeah, know. I've got those. I've got some videos queued up for. Okay, uh, cool. I've got the ending for those who didn't see it, but uh, yep. Yeah. If you check our check out the Discord channel always for uh, additional videos and behind the scenes stuff. And uh, so Nick, tell us about the, a little bit about the history of this game. All right. Well, Donut Dilemma uh, started the original design where it was created was on the TRS-80 Model 1, which was my very first computer uh, that I got way back in 1980. And um, back back then, our family had a, a business in the local shopping centre or shopping mall or whatever you call it, uh, a little donut bar kiosk where we made donuts, sold donuts. And one of the problems... We have we have this machine which makes donuts automatically. You basically pour the donut mixture in one end of the machine, and the machine plunges it out into oil. It travels along conveyor belts. Yeah, there's a thing in there which flips the donut over, so it co- cooks both sides of the donut, and then there's another conveyor which brings them out of the oil and puts it into a, a collection tray. So occasionally that would stuff up and the donuts would just be an absolute mess. You know, <laughs> and, and, and it's just a, you have to shut down and just clean everything up and, and restart. And that gave me an inspiration to say, wow, what a great game idea. <laughs> <laughs> so was the machine breaking that would make Angelo angry? No, I... It, that wouldn't take well. It, was Angelo it your dad? Machine. 
<laughs> no, no, it was made up. Okay. <laughs> and, and, um, my, my dad's name's Anton, so it's sort of oh, similar. There you go. Yeah. So. Um, well, Anton's yeah. the name of the uh, hero, isn't it? Names changed from Anton to guilty. The name yeah, of the well, character in this game is as Anthony or Anthony or something or. Is um, Antonio. Oh, Antonio? it is too. That's right. Yeah, I did too. So it is after my dad. Yeah. <laughs> so long ago. So it is Antony. That's right. Um, so, yeah, after seeing the chaos that comes about when, when the machine uh, goes wrong, I thought this would be a great game idea. So I wrote the game for the TRS-80 Model 1. And uh, it's, in my opinion, the best Model 1 game I ever wrote. I wrote about, <laughs> about six games. And that was good. Now, I was only in high school back then, so, I mean, no big sales. I did sell, you know, copies of it way back then, but it was only at the local club or whatever. Um, so, when I, when I did move to the color computer, um, I did um, Neutroid 2 first on the color computer. Then, after that, I decided, oh, let's do Donut Dilemma again. So, uh, I redesigned it for the color computer and... Um, what you're seeing there is various iterations of Donut Dilemma over the years because Donut Dilemma has been converted now to, well, from the TRS-80, I did the Coco uh, 1 and 2 version. Uh, it got converted to, um, well, someone from on the PC actually took, who was a fan of the TRS-80 Model 1 version, actually started recreating a version for the PC Never finished it, but it was looking really good, the parts that he did do. I did a version for an Australian locally manufactured computer called the Maximite. I did an upgrade to the Coco 3, which is the version we're playing here. So, oh yeah, Donut Dilemma has been around in my life for way too long. <laughs> so you've, you've literally milked it for all it's worth, is what you're saying. Pretty well. That's right. I've made hundreds of cents out of this game. So that's right. It's, but well, actually, game, that's, that's not so true. That brings up a couple questions and comments I wanted to make. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, what did your dad think of being the star of the game? Oh, he was pretty chuffed, yeah. <laughs> so... But but the big thing with Donut Dilemma was it was the first game where uh, I actually got to sell through Tandy. So that was my big biggest goal when I did start programming. I said, I want to get my game into every Tandy store. And it wasn't till Donut Dilemma that, that I achieved that. So Tandy Australia actually uh, did uh, contract me to... to actually produced packages for them that they sold in their stores. So it was an official, you know, had a, an official Tandy uh, catalogue number and everything. So it did end up selling eventually three and, a half, three and a half thousand copies to Tandy. So it was a success in that, in that regard. Um, it's just too bad that uh, the inner town that, you know, controlled the stuff outside of the States, they just never thought about bringing the game up to market in, in North America because yeah, they sold yeah. a lot more here, too, I think. It, it never um, officially went to the U.S. No, it was Australia only. Um, it would be cool if you came to Coco Fest coming up in, in a uh, red suit like that with a white belt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple of white buttons more on you. Gee, I just can't. I can't shake this donut thing, can I? <laughs> it's so, yeah, so, so the original version of the Cocos was was keyboard. Yeah, the original. Well, back in the day, because 
on the TRS-80 Model 1, it was keyboard only because um, everyone used to play on the Coco 1 and 2 layout. You had the up and down arrow keys on the on the left of the keyboard and the right and le left and right was on the right. And that was comfortable for, for keyboard play. So when I did the Coco 1 and 2 version, I just duplicated that. And back in the day, I mean, I was... a my, my, my fingers were a bit more dexterous and <laughs> I could actually coordinate myself. But uh, over the years... It was the same yeah, on the Model 1, right? It was the same on the Model 1. So uh, when I did this update, I thought, that's it, be gone, keyboard control. And I, I brought the uh, joysticks in. I also didn't know how to read joysticks back then anyway. So that was another reason I didn't do well, the there joystick was, There control. was a joystick option on the Model 1 either. No, there wasn't. It Not wasn't. except through third party, yeah. Yeah, third a, party, but I have a with mine too. With the version that oh, you yeah. brought to, with the version you brought to Radio, did did they take it as it was, or did they ask they you did. to make any changes? Uh, the only thing they asked for was uh, was a a Coco Three version. So I did release uh, a, a version of it, which basically just used the higher clock speed of the Coco Three and changed the colors. Um, so that you didn't... The original one had PAL artifacting and it used a stripey technique. You can download that version off my webpage. Uh, but for the Coco 3 specific version, you could say, I got rid of that stripey effect uh, and uh, call that the Coco 3 version. So it was sort of halfway. It wasn't really a Coco 3 Coco 3 enhanced, basically. Is about yeah, yeah. It was just using some of the features. Now, I, I did and, want to mention that one other thing, too, that you didn't mention yet, is that the difference between the Model 1 to the Coco version is you actually added a level. Well, that's right. The Model 1 version only had nine levels. Um, and, and the only <laughs> I told Curtis this. The only reason I did nine levels was because the, the layout of the screen, the number... Uh, where, where I put the number on the screen to show the, the level you're on, it didn't center very well when I had two digits. You know, there was a central character needed to be a single character on the display. And, to, to you know, you're counting one, two, three, up to nine. It was nice and centered. As soon as it, got the, it was to get to, to ten, it wasn't centered. And that bugged me. I said, no, it doesn't look right. So I said, that's it, nine levels. <laughs> so when I did the Coco 3 version, I thought, well, okay, that was stupid. So I thought, oh, let's, do, let's, let's go for 10 levels. So I had to come up with one more level. And level nine yeah, is uh, it's one of my favorites. And I think uh, you might have a video of that, of that later on from uh, um, uh, Bucko and uh, Nick um, that shows oh, level yeah, yeah. He, did, he did upload that. And it's a level where there's no machines, no objects. It's just platforms. So at first glance, you think, well, what's the deal with this screen? It doesn't do anything. I just have to climb to the top and that's it. But yeah, the moment you step on a platform, it starts to disintegrate from under you. So basically, you just fall straight away. So you have to work out how to get to the top while the entire level crumbles below you. <laughs> so it was a good level. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the story between level one, nine levels and ten levels. Here's level nine. This is courtesy of Buck Owens. Ah, yeah, this is it. Good one. So, yeah, you had to hop so that only alternate um, uh, parts of the floor would corrupt, that, which gave you uh, a chance to come back on the ones that 
that were left uh, standing. He's lucky he was able to get on a ladder here. That's uh, Oh, no, he jumped across. Uh, well, no, th th there is a change here as well. It, can you pause this? Just pause it. Okay. Normally, on that right top right corner, you're meant to go up to yeah. get that. Yeah, to get the uh, the flashing thing. But one thing in in the new version, I made the jumping to be less sensitive. So uh, you can actually jump a bit further in the update than what you could originally. So, and and uh, I didn't tell anyone that. It's just that <laughs> it was very frustrating. It was very frustrating when you jumped. Unless you jumped perfectly, you would fall. So I always found that frustrating. So I made it a bit more lenient. You only have to be on a half a platform and you, you don't fall. Uh, but because of that, it, make, it makes your jumping distance a little bit or one, one tile slightly longer, which means there are points in the game now where you can take shortcuts like in the top right corner there where he didn't have to go up and, and, and over that top platform. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and Buck Owens, of course, Buck Owens found it and uh, has <laughs> exploited it. And it, it also, it, it, I think he had a video where he showed it in another level where he could bypass the, 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 the big, the hard point in that screen. You could just bypass it by taking these big, long jumps as well. And yeah, you yep, posted Buck a lot of videos this week. I don't know if Buck I Owens one. found it. Yep, back off. But <laughs> do have, uh, we had a comment from David Craker saying he loved the concept of climbing the floors of the building and now you have the windscreen at the top of the building. So here's the windscreen. Main power. Start playing. Yeah, you turn the power off to bring everything back under control, just like the real, and then the real in, in, back in the days when the donut <laughs> machine would crack up, crack up. You just had to quickly shut it off before it got worse. <laughs> so yeah, top of the building, yippee. Yeah, and then concept. And then the and then the game just restarts here. Nick, I got an idea for a future game that you're going to have. Okay. Yeah. Now, this guy does not eat one single donut, and I'd like no, to doesn't. see him eat some donuts <laughs> and try to get through that little hole to go up to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've, got a I've got a title for it, too. It's called Diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> Diabetes. <laughs> that actually rhymes. That's quite good. I do like the, uh, I like the effect when you throw the dough. How it just how it kind of makes an arc rather than just being like a laser where it goes straight across. You yeah, kind of like yeah. the dough. I like that. Yeah, it's actual dryer and it goes a splat. I think the original the TRSAD Model One version actually printed the word splat, ah. so it, it it did the dots, you know, you know, the splat. But then it had the word splat. I think uh, superimposed there, but I didn't do it in the Coco version. I hated level six. Those spikes. Were yeah, they are a bit annoying. I should have. I should have made that a bit easier, but then I thought, nah. <laughs> I, I like it when he make them pay. <laughs> you know what I did for level six, and this what? isn't a cheat because it's built into the game. I hit F two to replenish my dough balls, so I wouldn't have to ah, go yeah, get yeah. The, the, the panic the bag. Button. Yeah, but you can only do that once in the game. So only once. Yeah. Had, so I had to survive that level, otherwise I would have been dead. Yeah. So that's it's doable, but six. yeah, it can be frustrating. But yeah, those spikes are those spikes are hard. Yeah. But I got to level nine, floor nine, which is pretty good. It's pretty close um, to the power generator, yep. Yeah. This one here, you don't 
when you jump on a, a platform, you don't move with the platform. Exactly. That was only because I was, uh, I, yeah, I was just lame back then. I just didn't know how to make it so that it, the the platform would would travel, make make the platform, uh, make the player rather move with the platform. So I thought, ah, oh, what the heck? Just say it's a. I think I called it um, uh, slippery platforms or something. Ah. Oh. Uh, just to, uh, like saying, oh yeah, there's oil and oil is spilt in the uh, factory. And that's why. That's why this happens. That's a yeah, feature. Well, that, that, yeah. That was a that well that was a con job. But yeah, let's call it a feature. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way, it makes it more challenging. Yeah. Well, like you would, would just ride across and just grab yeah. everything. This way, you got to kind of time your running. Easy. It would be easy. Yeah. So. Um, so you want to talk and, about and, the Coco Three enhancements you made? Well, the enhancements I did were, well, one, joystick control, of course, because, um, you know, uh, as I said, my reflexes are just absolute crap at the moment. So I couldn't play the original one anymore. So I thought, well, I've got to make it so I could play it. And uh, I decided on joystick. Well, it required, and what, three keys at once? You had to hit for certain moves, right? It used the, uh, well, the arrow keys, up, down, left, right, of course. But once you got the dough, I think you had to, um, on the Coco version, did you have to hold the up and down keys together and do left and right? I can't remember now. Yeah, that was it. So you, yeah, I think you had to press up and down and hold them down and then do left or right to throw left or right. I think so it's not, the, not the impossible. The other, um, the other Coco 3 enhancement is having that mouse pointer constantly on the screen right there. Where, uh, oh, yeah. That's not yeah. me. It's like Owen's video, I think. Oh, it's yeah. on his video. Oh, it's There's not you. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here are those, uh, those spikes. There's the spikes, yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, Owen, you gotta, you gotta he worked it all out. He worked it out. He was, he's definitely very good. He's a good player, yes. He's very good. I, I like the way he worked out. You can jump over the very last spike because that that uh, saved you trying to uh, wait. Just jump, and you can jump over the spike even if it starts to come up. You jump over it anyway. So he worked out those little fine tweaks. He's definitely very good. Is that something you knew, Nick, or has he, has yeah, he discovered yeah, yeah. some shortcuts that you didn't even know about? No, 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 no. I knew about that, so that's why. When I saw him do it, I thought, gee, he's good. He, he's worked it out. Oh, these were undocumented features that Nick had put in, huh? So, Floor well, 7 that- got me the first time. I ran out of time, so I didn't know you had I just know that sometimes it's a happy accident thing, so I was wondering if, like, when you loosened up the joystick jumping to be a little bit uh, more accepting of, of things, uh, if, if Bucket maybe found a few things that you went, oh, I didn't know it did that. Well, I was no, no, I, I knew about that one because I knew it was a, a, a wider jumping point. Jumping um, distance that you could do, but I thought, well, no one will know, surely. Yeah, well. But I so didn't he didn't take, discover anything that like, you had. Like there, for yeah, example. that's a pretty wide See? jump he just did yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Normally you can't. You've got to go all the way around. Yeah. 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 So that's so, a time saver, big time. Exactly. Yeah. So that uh, that uh, is something he discovered, and I think the uh, this level, you could avoid having to go through over the buck, uh, in front of the buck. See that. That is a shortcut. Yeah, because that bucket's Norm- hard. Normally, you would have to go up and wait for the bucket and quickly go across to the next ladder, duck down before you get your head clobbered by the bucket. So, yeah, it, it, he, he discovered it. Once, you, once he discovered that, you know, he, 
he found shortcuts. Yeah, because you have to basically run halfway off the platform and then you hit jump so that you don't try to jump simultaneously while moving where you usually that's fall. right and so you that jump up bucket, and then you just flip the joystick to the direction you want to move to and then and you immediately jump it is random so sometimes you you're halfway there and it changes direction and comes back as the uh-oh and you Wait, run back quickly that one is i thought it always went left and right only i only yeah, saw it go left and right yeah it goes left and right but um but it's not a fixed it pattern doesn't, it doesn't go all the way it could be going right and doesn't reach the end and says, ah, I'll, I'll just change direction and go back. Oh, it does? I know the Coco 2 yeah. version did that, but I didn't, I didn't think the Coco 3 version did. Oh, oh. It looked like now, it just some... went left and right, left and right. Oh, oh, maybe I changed that, actually. Oh, that, that might have been one of the changes, too. I forgot, yeah. Because that was annoying in the original. You, you, you're halfway to the next ladder, and the silly thing changes direction on you. So you have to quickly run back before you get clobbered. So I and that was very annoying. So I, yeah, I probably did change that actually. There was a few in-game tweaks that I I did do to, which I always found uh, over the years to be frustrating. And I figured, oh well, this will be the easy version. Right. Yeah. Now this you can change your switches to meatballs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I never figured out that bounce on the edge of the platform to not fall off trick now i've got to play the whole game again <laughs> <laughs> yeah and david craker also noticed that there's 10 windows in the building to show off the 10 floors yeah, yeah that, that, that yeah. was uh, intentional yeah so yeah that's supposed and, to show and, that you've just climbed every one of those right levels. and david's also asking were there any recorded high scores from the 80s of this game no no probably because david craker's asked oh, it wasn't in the rainbow then right like some of the other games we had no no never it never uh didn't officially make the uh, U.S. market. Yeah, there, there's a bit of a bit of a scandal there that you found out though. Um, somebody basically had tried selling it to Tom Mix, and Tom Mix did advertise Donut Dilemma for a couple months. Yeah, in the they advertise it. I don't know how many well, without sold. Nick's knowledge whatsoever. Yeah, so when I saw it there advertised by Tom Mix back in the day, I thought, what the hell? So <laughs> I, I I sent him a letter to. Uh, it was only a letter, so I had to wait, you know, two three weeks for a reply. To Tom Mix saying, "Oh, that that's not a legit copy." Um, and he, he replied and said, "As far as he's concerned, he, he's bought it from a legit distributor here in Australia, which he did. So he didn't realise that it was um, a dodgy release. Huh. And and the, it was the Australian and an Australian company called uh, Computer Hut, I think, back in the day, who sold it to Tom Mix." And they were selling illegal copies of Donut Dilemma. Hmm. Yeah, because by that time you were selling it through Tandy only. Well, at that right, point, right at that time, pretty well when I did, did discover that Tom Mix was advertising it, is when I got the deal from Tandy, and 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 that was a bit of a interesting story as well because I wrote the game, I uh, then tried to sell it locally and whatever and you know it, it sold every now and then to a few people at, at the local computer club but my real goal was to get tandy to sell it so i i sent a copy to tandy here in australia and said oh well you know what do you think of this game is it is it is it something you might be interested in selling and they came back and said oh yeah you know they wanted to sell it but what i didn't know at the time was that Tandy were working with the local Coco magazine here in Australia, 
uh, called uh, Australian Cocoa, they had a competition uh, which they basically said, if you write a game on the Cocoa, the best game wins the prize and the prize is that Tandy will sell your game. They wanted it in time for the uh, Christmas period. And I didn't know about the competition. I just submitted my my donut dilemma because, well, I had the game done. I thought, well, let's send it to Tandy. Nothing to do with the, the, the competition at all. And it turned out that there was already a winner, that Tandy had already chosen a winner for a Coco 3 game that, uh, that um, uh, Craig Stewart had written um, back in the day. I think that was uh, Pursuit. Or was it Marauder? Yeah, I can't remember. One it's one of, of those two, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those two. And so the, the competition had closed and, and the winner had been chosen and, and everything. But Tandy still came back and said, oh, we want to, we want to sell your game, uh, and, but can you do a Coco 3 version as well? And, uh, yeah, that's where it all happened. So the, I, I guess there were two winners unofficially. <laughs> <laughs> so so, I, so I, I was very lucky. There? Uh, two technically I did one where I yeah just took the one and two version and just quickly did a Coco 3 Alex's patch to it yeah and you didn't add joystick to that one that was I didn't add yeah I didn't add joysticks and oh, okay it, it wasn't really a proper it was a, it was a rush job to to satisfy Tandy because I had to get it to him quickly to get to that uh, 1987 Christmas period so it always it was always in the back of my head that gee I wish I had done a better Coco Three version, and that's what this is. So what happened yeah. with the the whole top mix thing? Did they stop selling? Oh, they they, they they stopped advertising. Yeah, so they were fine. Yeah, yeah, it was just in there a couple of months, and then you it eventually a, did sell it legitimately in the states. Though I think there were some other scandals software. there too through Game Point software, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, I well, don't know it, how many they sold, but. It ended up on a a, uh, a issue of TND software, also. Yeah, well, I I, I don't know how that got there. They, they Probably might from Tom Mix. From Tom <laughs> Mix, yeah, exactly. Because all Tom Mix stuff got sold sold to TND, so maybe they didn't know that that one had. Been they stopped. wouldn't know, no. So, so the 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 crim was uh, some company here in Australia. You know, isn't it uh, when you know you've made it when uh, you actually <laughs> show up at uh, you know software trading parties. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> but I, I wasn't too concerned. I mean, getting to Tandy was good, and, and they did buy more copies than I would have ever tried sold without them. So I figured, oh well, by this point, doesn't matter if there's pirate copies anyway, because in Tandy, I, I sold three and a half thousand copies. So. Yeah, I just really wish that I did the Intertan had communicate with Tandy Head in, in Fort Worth and actually got it from the North American market because you probably would have sold 10000 at least. Oh, yeah. So 8-Bits in the Basement is saying it's still on sale for $250 Australian dollars on eBay <laughs> yeah, right I, now. So. I've seen that ad. That's been there almost uh, over a year now. That's, so. like the new, that's like the New York Times Coco too, right? It's just... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, did, I did write a, uh, a letter to the guy who says, look, Look, I'm interested, but not at 250. Can you sell it cheaper? He never replied. So yeah. I don't know. I, I I think that ad will be there forever. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think it's just like that Tano Dragon on eBay for 999. dollars It's going to yeah. be there forever. Uh, yeah. 
So I don't know how that that little scam works. I mean, that that version is not even autographed. You could probably only. sell your own autographed version for that. Well, one. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have uh, a book that's going left and right only? Yeah, no. So so you're right. I think I did change it so it didn't randomly change direction. Yeah, Daddy Burrito's asking if the uh, that if that company that did the shady deal to Tom Mix did they ever come clean with you about no, that? No, no. No, no, but but they disappeared a few years later anyway, so I didn't worry about it. Karma. Yeah. Ooh. Ah, take that, Buck. <laughs> buck off. <laughs> Two bucks off for that one. <laughs> buck off. <laughs> so did we get the answer as why was Angelo so angry? Was it because the machine kept mucking up? <laughs> well, I think I made up a story uh, in Discord that... Uh, that uh, Angelo was a competitor uh, donut company, and that yeah, he wanted to take take down Antonio. I see. And uh, he he came in and and did his uh, little deed on the donuts to 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 bring down the company, and uh, and that's that's what donut is all about. Kind of like the uh, Chum Bucket versus the Krusty Krab. That's That's right. Time old, uh, yes. Robbins versus Tim Hortons for Canadian viewers. Keep an eye out for the sequel, Revenge of Antonio. Yes, Antonio (laughs) strikes back. I like the way each level had a different kind of uh, strategy to it. Like you had the level with the the spring bricks. You had the level where you had to go a certain way, otherwise you'd run out of time. You had the level with the platforms, the level with – like uh, you had a a good variety in the uh, the levels. I I was still in high school when I did this, so – it's impressive. That was back in the days when I still had some brains. Yeah. <laughs> Very impressive. What is he throwing? Oh, it's, it's dough. So when you make dough, you what you what we had to do was there was a big mixing pot. And we had to mix the dough flour with the water and make the mixture, and then and then that goes into the donut machine. So it was it was just dough, you know. So that's okay. a dough bag. So you have to grab a bat the dough bag, and that gave you five throws. And uh, that's what you throw at the donuts. That's what you call guys who get high scores in five minutes before supper. You call them dough bags. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't qualify for that this week. Sorry. Dough bags. You, you never carried bags. through with the Italian theme of meatballs. It would have been cool with meatballs. And meatball and lemon. Well, I, I, I never made it obvious that it was supposed to be Italian anyway because I didn't want him to be, you know, a Nintendo to get cranky to death. That this was a Mario. Now your current game, Nick, that you're working on now, Zero, are you you actually you're basing a kind of a mashup of a couple of games, including Donut Dilemma? It's a mashup. So yeah, it's basically the idea of Donut Dilemma, where you've got to climb levels to get to the, well, sort of to climb levels to get to the top, uh, and having different machines and stuff you had to deal with. So that's uh, that's the Donut part. But it was also a way of redoing that other dreadful program called Rupert Rhythm, which I, <laughs> over the years, I've never been a fan of it. And I wanted to sort of redo Rupert Rhythm in, in, in the same sense. So it combines a bit of Donut Dilemma and Rupert Rhythm. So so for those of you that really like Donut Dilemma and are waiting for a sequel, you're actually kind of going to get one. Well, yeah, sort of, I guess. I did change the whole uh, premise of the game a fair bit. I mean, it's different machines. Yeah, it's it's yeah. more like the mechanics of the game you're kind of expanding. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. Yeah, another thing is with donuts, coffee, you know, some kind of coffee somewhere. 
right? Yeah. Well, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, for that, you can play Marty's Nightmare. That has coffee in it. So some Cuban oh. coffee, maybe. It's in Cuban. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, thinking, uh, you could have solved your two-digit problem with using using hexadecimal for your floors there. <laughs> yeah, I probably could have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could have. Well, no, no, no. The problem was that the area that was um. Uh, if, if you saw the Model 1 version, you'd see there was an area that the scores appeared in a vertical column on the right and the game was in the left-hand part. So uh, that's different between the two versions. And the column on the right was a certain number of um, bytes uh, wide and a central, the central point was, would only fit a single character. If you went either side, it would be left lopsided and it just bugged me it was just cosmetically wrong so right, yeah. right. it was using so, text it was using text it was you know, text text yeah, characters right. so you had yeah. a finite I, spacing you couldn't I, I jigger couldn't that position it yeah. exactly so if you did do in hex you could have gone up to 15 levels because you could have done one to f yeah yeah huh. wow well, uh, yeah but then then the i mean average players wouldn't have a clue what that was the two but. digits wouldn't be centered though there wouldn't be they two digits, be, though. You go one. zero to nine, A, B, C, D, E, F is a single character. Yeah, it gives you 15 oh, options. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. But, yeah, I mean, not yeah, But normal knows. players wouldn't have known hex. So. No, no, that's right. Only the abnormal. No, you could have done zero through nine. <laughs> just, that would have given nerds. you your 10 levels. <laughs> so. I could have. Oh, hex. Yeah, that's right. I could have done zero to nine. And, and God, you and didn't do binary. We just have two stinking levels. It'd be boring. Well, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and level uh, in my latest game, uh, um, uh, whatever I called it, <laughs> zero hour <laughs> blank. Uh, it does start on zero actually, but it goes up to fourteen. And I did let. I don't think I actually print the level number in on the game anyway, so I didn't have that whole problem. It zero hour is a little bit different. It's not linear in that, like in Donut, where you go level zero, level one, level two, up to t- up to the top. It um, it's got. Uh, well, it's more like group and got, rhythm where you get to pick where you're going. Basically, yeah, you, you the, there's a foyer on level zero which has a bunch of doors, and you pick the door you want to go into that takes you to a level. So they're all in jumbled order anyway. You don't know which level the door is going to go to in in zero hour. So yeah, it's not linear. It is still meant to be a vertical building, but you don't know which door will take you to which which actual level. Interesting. Kind of like a lobby in a hotel and you don't know where the elevator is yeah, going to yeah, go or something. Yeah, and right? it's actually called a lobby. Okay. Yeah, neat. I remember a while ago we were we played something where I think it was a game developers conference or something about somebody who was reviewing old TRS-80 games um, said that your game was probably one of the better Mario clones for the original TRS-80 Z80 platform, and that was, that's pretty good accolades. And one somebody. of the best designed, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good for 50 bucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, no, huh? yeah I don't know if I've, I've got that actual video. And so but somewhere it would on take YouTube, me to, yeah. It, yeah. it would take me too long to find the part in the video because he covers a lot of yeah. TRS-80 yeah. games, yeah. So this gave you the fender and a tire off your Lamborghini, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. Actually, uh, just yesterday, I had a fellow come over, um, uh, George Benson, and he, he visited me yesterday, and he brought me um, a little, what do you call those things, a, a, a GoTech, which had already been configured to work on the Microbee 
Australian microbee computer. Okay. You guys don't have that. It was sort of like a TRS-80, not a clone, but what, what it can do, a lot of people have done, is to get a lot of old TRS-80 games and can reconvert them to the microbee, of which Donut Dilemma has been converted to the microbee by Mark McDougal of, uh, of um, well, on the Transcode the theme. World. Yeah, he did, Transcode he did a lot theme, of transcodes, yeah. like Knight's Lore so and... Uh, that's right, yeah. and he's actually converted the Model One version uh, to the Micro B. And I, I, I do have a Micro B, but I never had a disk drive or anything for it to to try it. So yeah, George Benson came around yesterday and he brought a uh, a uh, GoTech and plugged it into my Micro B, and I actually saw the donut dilemma that Mark McDougall converted for the Micro B actually running. On a micro B, I thought. Well, oh, that's, that's cool. Did you yeah. take any pictures? Well, it actually looks exactly the same as the TRS-80, and that is on my webpage as well. Um, but it's exactly the same. What color is the CRT? Is it green, white, amber? Green, green, green. Uh, okay. green yeah. Well, whatever, whatever color the CRT is. So, yeah. <laughs> so oh, I had a green screen, yeah. Okay. Now, your Maximite version, you enhanced the graphics and sound because that had such a good basic, but I don't think you had any extra levels on that particular one, did you? No, no. So that one was a, a, a basically taking the Coco versions um, and the 10 levels. But the Maximite one was written totally in basic, um, and it runs just as fast as, as the Coco version in machine code. I think, I think it ran at 80 megahertz, uh, wow. the basic on that. So, yeah. And um, and more colors and stuff too. And I think. Eight colors, yeah. It had eight colors, and sound effects. It could actually play Amiga mod files. So I had a few sound effects created there in in Amiga mod format, and it plays those uh, sounds. So it's actually, yeah, it actually. I was quite impressed by it. Neat donuts. A lifetime of donuts. <laughs> So, have you ever been asked to um, talk about your gaming, early gaming stuff on, you know, like um, magazines or programs of any kind or anything? Uh, there's that book. There's that book, yeah. He was interviewed so, for a book recently. Yeah, coming cool. soon. Um, but I have uh, talked about them at PenFest. Yep. We've interviewed so, you a few times, too, when we've been done doing some of shows yeah, and specials on your yeah, stuff. Yeah, so... Yeah, I've had a few of those ego trips. Uh, <laughs> all right, are we ready to uh, anything else you want to say, Nick? Or um, no, that's about it, I guess. Uh, what, the only other thing I'd say is um, when Tandy sold it, Tandy sold it for twenty bucks in the in the stores, which was a a low cost title by Tandy's standards, I guess. But I only got paid $3 a copy. Uh, no, sorry. I got paid by Tandy $6 per copy, but that included what my my expenses to make it in the first place. Um, yeah, because you so, had to make the manuals, the discs. Yeah, I had to make it all. I had to do the artwork. Wow. I had to do the printing. I had to get the cassettes duplicated, uh, packaged up, and, and freighted to Tandy, the warehouse. So I had all those expenses. So $6 became $3 at, at the most for me yeah. per game. So the guy who made 
most money from it was Tandy, of course. But I was happy the fact that I finally got to Absolutely. where I really wanted, and that is to get a game out in every Tandy store. So there was no way I would have sold three and a half thousand copies anyway by myself. So I didn't. I didn't complain. Did you have the Tandy logo on your stuff? Yeah, yeah, I did too. Give it to you. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 and I think um, I, I can't remember if the download I have on the internet. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's in the it's in the PDF. The manual yeah, there. It's yeah. in the PDF. That's right. It's on the archive so you, too. Yeah. Yeah. So the, a copy of the packaging is there. Yeah, the TRS eighty RGB logo is on the That's cover it, of yeah. that. Yeah, it, it's got the uh, official catalog number and everything on there. Well, isn't this also featured in uh, the uh, Tandy uh, Australian Tandy commercial we run from time yeah, to time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is too. You actually do see the Christmas pack that they did sell yeah. uh, in 1987 Christmas, which my game had um, indirectly been a winner of that competition. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Thank you, uh, Nick Morentes, for many, many years of fine quality gaming and entertainment and many more to come. Okay, that's stretching it, but anyway. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Nick Morata, for always doing this great segment for us. And so, yes, the suspense is killing me. What is the game that we're going to be playing for next week? All right. Now, first, I just want to say a quick thank you to Canadian Retro Things. Check out his channel, for, and thank you for the video, and for Buck Owens for the videos you made this week. Back thank off. you so much. All right. So, our next week's game is actually a request by uh, Stevie. I don't know if Stevie remembers requesting it, but... Uh, Thermalaster. That's right. It's the an hypodermic asteroids. needle in space. Yeah. <laughs> an asteroids clone. So uh, With some enhancements. Sorry? I said with some enhancements. You have a shield in this one, which you don't in the original asteroid. So it's kind of a asteroids with a little bit of asteroids deluxe thrown in. Yeah, true. That's right. And asteroids only had the hyperspace. That's right. So 1981 by Jim Kearney. So uh, it's uh, Star Blaster is our game for next week and uh thank you stevie and thank you to everybody who participated and uh we'll see what to do with this game this week we'll see you next week Excellent. i'll give you one bit of trivia on star blaster 2 it was the first non-tandy third-party cartridge based game and that was like 39 dollars us when it came out in 81 sold by microworks who also did one of the better third-party assemblers for the coco so they actually used their own dog food and made their own game for it <laughs> Far out, far out. All right, well, we got to keep the train rolling. So um, we have about an hour and a half left, and we've got to squeeze in game on news, regular news, and updates and acquisitions, if possible. So um, you ready to just keep on rolling on the game on part with this, uh, L. Curtis Boyle, and, and give us our game on news? Sure. Because my, my wife is baking lasagna, and I can already smell it. And so I'm just telling you, when that, when that food is done, I'm pressing the button. You guys can keep on talking, but you're going to be talking to deaf ears. So, <laughs> Ooh. so pretty much the same thing. Yes, yeah. pretty much, yes. It's never stopped you from eating on the show before. So. <laughs> Berserk with diagonal movement. Yeah, so Jim Gary did an update of his compiled version of his MC10 Berserk game. So he's got a newer method for handling diagonal movement. <coughs> Now, the one issue is, of course, there's no joysticks on the uh, MC-10, and the in-key command only lets you read one key at a time. So how do you do diagonal movements on Berserk? You, so you assign different keys for the corners. Or you could actually start doing peaks of the keyboard rollover ah, table and actually register yes, more than one key. You could do that, too. Mm -hmm. 
So that's mm. what he did here. So this is an update to one we've previously shown, and the compiled Ooh. version actually runs pretty quick. Oh, look so. at that. Yes, that looks really good. Especially when you exit a room, like if you've seen his original basic version, you actually watch it draw the lines and then wipe out the black parts where it's leaving the openings. But once he uh, exits the room here, you'll see how fast it redraws in the compiled version. Yeah. Woo. So that MC10 compiler is a pretty decent program. It does seem to speed up some of the games like several times. So Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of games that you would have had, you know, done ML routines with stuff before uh, yeah. that you don't have to anymore. There's a project I'm working on right now in semi-graphics that I'm that is going to be perfectly geared towards trying to compile. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, so these are all available for download on on Jim's site too. So, uh, which is a constant state of updates. Looks good. Et. Sorry, was that Mark? He's asking if it was Et. No, those were robots, Marco. Not They're ET. Robots, so okay. They look kind of ET ish, but yes. They look like the 2600 <laughs> ET, you know? Yeah. And the next one he did an update to is his uh, M- Mick Checkers, MC Checkers. Um, so he had a couple of bugs he had to fix. <clears throat> uh, the one bug was the AI wouldn't always do double jumps against you. So even if it could jump you, it wouldn't. It would jump you the one time and then stop, even if it could do a chain jump. So he's fixed that. And then he also added, uh, you could jump in the wrong direction with unking pieces after your first jump. And then he also added a cursor key select. So you can actually kind of pick your, your keys here. So um, other than that, it's basically the same checker. So I won't show too much of that. But uh, some bug fixes there if you have that. King me. Next up. We had uh, Paul Shoemaker. Of course, we mentioned last week because he's released the Coco 1 and 2 version of Poker Squares recently. And he did the original Coco 3 version of over squares last year is that he was working on a Coco VGA native version of it. So we'd done a little bit of a preview of it last week. He did a little work in progress. And at the beginning of the week, not too long after the show, he did this one here. We actually showed his new title screen, which looked really good. You know, he's got some fully detailed 16 color cards yes. with extended palette for the Coco VGA on the Coco 1 and 2. And he also uh, gave a credit to the person that's been doing a lot of the drawings of the cards and stuff here. A really good uh, graphics artist, for, especially for lower res, lower palette type of stuff. And a little bit of instruction screen there. And the actual gameplay screen. Those cards look really good, man. I'm going to have to download this. So I thought that was good. He's, he's progressing fairly well. So then, uh, of course, a few days later, he finished the game. Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, so it's totally done. Um, so he actually released a video of it. I think this is the right one. Oh. Boom. Look at that. 8-bit deck. Some of my ML routines for some of the faster bits, too. So it's, it's, it's mostly basic. But it's, it's, it's a first, you know, I think the first major um, Coco VJ game, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, we've got some other basic. Well, and then ones. we have the um, the uh, the island treasure island defense one too. Oh uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, right, the second yeah. one, I guess. Yeah, of course there was Kabam, but there was nothing major about that, and that's still not finished. So, yeah, Sheldon's uh, ML cartridge game that uses the cartridge. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got the little king in the bottom yeah. there giving you the updates. He actually is, you know, is animated and waves his sword and talks. Yeah, that's neat. Which I don't think the Coco 3 or the Coco 1 and 2 original versions have that. So that's unique to the Coco VGA. Flip one. Uh, 
And you can definitely hear that sweet, sweet sound of the Kokomek keyboard yeah. in the background. <laughs> yeah, you can. Sounds like Mark Overhoser and David Ladd having a typing contest. Yeah, and I got mine here too, so I can do the same thing. Thankfully, it doesn't look like the Burger King king. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, this, this, yeah, that would just make me hungry. Taco VGA is something that Pedro should put in as a standard in his board. We've, we've already talked about that. <laughs> yep. Uh, be a good idea. No, the problem is it's got to be produced, you know, and I know that Brendan can only produce so many. I think there's still a waiting list on those who want it. Well, doesn't Ed produce those for Brendan? So then now that he's got that pick thing, he can actually oh, speed it up? That part, I don't know. Splendid. You won $80 that time. Yes, That's Ed, really Ed good. Makes, Ed makes the boards, and then Brendan does the programming of them and packages it all and sends it out. Yeah. So I think the manufacturing might speed up now that Ed's got that thing, and he's kind of getting it all geared up and set up properly for all the various projects he's doing. Yeah, this Where is really cool. Where do they send you the money? <laughs> yeah, right. The money that you win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. hundred fifty-five. It's in cocoa bitcoins. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's really. That, cool. That's another story coming up soon. But yeah, that's very cool. But, yeah, it's a it's a really nice conversion. And, and literally, like he just released the cocoa two one and two on the regular version just a few weeks ago. So he actually crammed out this cocoa VGA version literally just in a couple of weeks. So he's, he he's a machine. Used a lot of code too. Yeah, it's mainly just graphics. Yeah. But still, we're taking some time to convert everything to 16 colors and stuff. And sure. So are there two versions of this game? or will the same, There's will the game three. There's three. There's an original Coco 3 version. He did one for the Coco 1 and 2, and now this is a Coco VGA one using a special 16-color mode. And if you want to get a copy of it, here's the uh, download link on okay. um, nice. Facebook. Uh, Brendan's also got an, on his Coco VJ page. For some reason, the Coco VJ page was down this morning, so I didn't bother putting that one. And it'll show up in the Color Computer Archive later, too, so you have three possible places to go grab it. I just Very nice. checked the link. Uh, the Coco VJ page is up. Oh, it is back up? Okay, good. Yeah, because it was, it was down a couple hours ago. At least for me. Maybe it was something. Very nice. Thing. Very nice. Yep. Next up, we've got Michael Hearn Sr., who's been uh, fairly active recently. So he doesn't have any joysticks for his Coco, so we did his Franken joystick as he called it. it was actually it's kind of like a dual paddle controller with these little spin wheels yeah that's neat like for those like volume knobs it's like the etch-a-sketch joystick yeah that is that's exactly it yeah <laughs> now for some games that would suck i would have to be honest but there's some games that would actually work really well like a space assault or galactic attack or yeah like any of the paddle type games would be really good for this huh? popcorn catch them yeah. you know some of those it would be really good for that warlords is another one so yeah, it's actually good. He's you know trying possibly, to get a real one. possibly a driving game too, like where you could steer yeah. and throttle. One for speed, one yeah. for yeah, yeah. Like uh, what's that one from Computerware Grand Prix or Morocco Grand Prix, whatever it's called? Yeah, a good one. Needs bigger knobs. <laughs> That's what he said. I don't know. I I I wouldn't <laughs> mind having something I could just twist like really fast with just two fingers and supposed to crank in the whole pong size thing. That's neat. Like, it depends yeah. if you need precision or if you need to move in opposite directions quickly, which which would work better, I think. It was kind of cool that he came up with that solution just because he didn't have a joystick. Right. Necessity. It's a mother of invention. Next up, we have Henry Reitfeld here. I'll just uh, turn it on down a little bit here while it starts up. Hey, but uh, basically, Reitfeld. he wanted to do some old school. So what he did here is he took his hard drive, hooked it up to his, I think it's the ID hard drive. And he actually has it precariously balanced on his uh, cassette deck. You can yeah. see it on the right there. Yeah. It's not even in a case, just raw, plugged in. And then he uses uh, the Sidekick program to launch Donkey Kong Remix. 
off of a real hard drive. And you can see he's got, I mean, this, this is what make David Ladd happy. He's got like two, five and a quarters. He's got three and a half. He's got yeah, a set deck. He's yeah. got a hard drive. Only a four slot MPI though. So that's and all four full. All four, 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 full. <laughs> proving, proving David Ladd, you know, correct that you need more slots. And he starts playing Donkey Kong Remix. That yeah. insanely hard version of Donkey Kong. Very cool. Henry Reitveld did some cool stuff. Yeah. Now, next, uh, I'll mention briefly here, Cuthbert Dragon has been cranking out the videos again. I think he put up another 20 or 30 this week. Um, we've seen most of those before, so I'm not going to bother repeating them. But if you want to check them out, check out his page. Uh, but we have a new YouTuber and uh, that's doing some Dragon stuff here, too. And it's called Dragon 32 Games with C. This is, these are games that start with the letter C. And he does these periodically for other machines, too, like he's done, you know, games starting with S V Atari ST or whatever. So he does a lot of retro things, and that's his theme for a lot of his videos is what that starting letter was. Now, I believe this is Polish because like, he does talk over them, and, and it's, it's, it's definitely, well, it's definitely not English. And I think it's Polish when I tried putting in his description and plugged it in to translate Google, so... But he plays a few of these, and the first few are actually semi-graphics games, which I know Nick, Nick will like. Yeah. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah, this Coptus snatch looks good. And you'll even notice here on uh, some of these shapes, which I had noticed before, because this is the clearest video I've seen of Coptus snatch, is that it's actually text characters that he's got mixed in. Now, I don't For know if he had the, the right VDG selected. Stuff, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you had the right VDG settings on this because some of them look a little bit odd. So it'd be interesting to try with a different yeah. VDG to see if we actually get some proper shapes. But it's on my graphics for the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like there's at signs underneath some of them, and so that might maybe he's using a T1 and it's not not lining up properly yeah. for what he wants trying to do. But I like the boulders; those are cool. The explosions are very Defender-ish. Um, no, this is really neat. Yeah. So that's a cool semi-graphics game we kind of showed before, but this is better better shown than normal. But then he put his, uh, another one, which is Choplifter, basically. It's called Chopper Rescue, another semi-graphics game for Dragon, which oh, I don't look think at that. Saw Yeah, it's a one-pixel-high chopper blade there. Which is really, oh, they got actually an animated stick figure, dude, and that's in Yeah, for those of you who played graphics. Choplifter on the Atari or the Apple II or yep, the Commodore 64, this is our clone of it, which yeah. I didn't even know it existed until recently. Yeah. That's quite a nice one. So I know that the um, uh, Gimme X is doing all kinds of stuff to give us more modes that we didn't have, but it would almost be kind of neat if there was a enhanced semi-graphics mode. What do you mean by hand? Like a higher resolution or something where, you know, it seems like semi-graphics is great, but there's always some getcha on what you can and can't do. But if we could somehow get more semi-graphics... Um, which I guess maybe Coco VGA does that in 64 column mode, but I don't know. I'm just spitballing here, but you know, if there's a way yeah. to get something more out of the semi-graphics mode, because it's an underutilized mode, and technically doesn't. And the Gimmicks at least of, fully supports all the extended higher semi-graphics yeah, modes yeah. now, so at least we have the backwards compatibility back. So this is kind of like an outlaw um, yeah. thing. I don't remember seeing this one in, in the states. Nope, I don't remember seeing this one. This is actually this video is the first time I've ever seen this one. I have seen a Coco version that was done on by TND Software or something before. It's, it's an artifacted one, but okay. this particular one I've never seen before. Yeah, Team is like from like 1975. And what is this? The original. That's Crash by Tomix. That one I have seen before. Okay, I 
don't specifically remember this screen before, but it looks good. Yeah, there's there's four screens on that one, if I remember correctly. They're all quite different. You're flying a plane okay. for some of it and stuff, too. So Interesting. Now, what is this? This is Crazy Footer, which is, seems to be a soccer game. Now, I've seen that 3D soccer one. This is more of a 2D one, but the shapes almost look like, you know, baseball. Yeah, like a weird. color baseball a little bit. In the, uh... oh, yeah, yeah, you he's... actually get to, like, pass the ball Yeah, I see that. And... He's, he's running around with the ball. That's neat. Yeah. So that it actually seems neat. to be a pretty fun one. I'm not quite sure the controls yet. I'll have to try to try this one. This is another one I'd never, never seen, seen before. before. Yeah, that is neat. Uh, a proper football game. And green suits it. Yeah, green yep. suits this one. And it's it's nice that he chose red and yellow for the players because depending on your TV, the red and blue are really hard to distinguish. They're both so dark. Yeah, especially if you um, had a black and white TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fact that he's using yellow as a, an opponent color so that you get two distinct contrasts there. Uh, and and the, how the ball bounces. Yeah, it's kind of an indoor soccer ah, thing. So and he scores. So. Neat. That's cool. Yeah, very much reminds me of the color baseball characters. Yeah. Which were inspired I think we've from seen the television. Before. It's Mario. <laughs> it's a me, uh, Angry Angelo. <laughs> yeah, that's where Cuthbert kept changing his shape because sometimes <laughs> he's a fat kid with glasses, sometimes he's Mario, it's, sometimes he's, you know, Pitfall Harry. It's kind of weird. And then basically the rest of the ones he does are all Cuthbert ones, which we've seen a thousand times, so I won't show the rest That's of the neat. video. But uh, he had some pretty cool ones I've never seen before, so I'm looking forward to him doing some other ones. because he actually Dragon really Games with C. Ones. See what he comes up in some of the other letters, some other stuff I've never seen before. So that's it for the Game On News. Okay, what we'll do is we'll take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with news news and whatever else we can squeeze into the rest of the show. Uh, so far, so good. Thanks, everybody, for still being here. Thank you for our audience for still being here and staying awake this long. Uh, good times, good times. We are going to go, and I'm going to play uh, Family Pleaser. So we'll be back after these words, everybody. And now, these messages. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. Hi, I'm Kieran Anscombe, author of XRAW, and your brain is resolving sensory input into Cocoa Talk. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 Color Computer, TRS-80 MC-10, and Dragon Computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on, drop by our website, and download our latest games. Tired of switching your joystick between the left and right port? Want to change between different controllers? Well, Joey has got you covered. The Joey Controller Switch. Take control of your controllers with the flip of two switches. Order today at cocoman.biz. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel 
Gimes. Legend says, when the moon is full, if you go out in the country by the lake and whisper the name of Nick Marota three times, his spirit will appear and he will grant you a product idea. Radio Shack has a great gift idea for the whole family. Fast action TV games, and they're on sale. Get this six-game model for $29.95 or the four-game model for $21.95. With rising entertainment costs, that's a real bargain. You play hockey, tennis, squash, and more. Easy to hook up and great family fun that lasts all year long. The sale price TV games. Only at Radio Shack. A Tandy Company. Hi, I'm Terry Steen, author of Balloon Fire and other amazing games on the color computer. And you're listening to Stevie Stroh on Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis Muppet News Flash. All right, and we're back. With Mikey's favorite part of the show, snooze and newsy. <laughs> okay, so the first couple of videos here are actually from Pedro. So I don't know if he wants to comment on or if he wants me to show anything specific on them. So this is the uh, first video he did, uh, just you know, showing the, the Rev B motherboard, the blue one, which he's kind of shown us a little bit of. And then he's got a couple other ones here, uh, completely installing it in the case and replacing an incorrect capacitor for the color artifacting. And then his latest one with the weird RF thing I made. So, Pedro, did you want me to play bits of each, or do you want me to just play the last video? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, a little. Yeah, the last one is good. That, these were kind of boring, but the last one is the better one. Okay. Uh, skip the head here. So, I'll, I'll just show that one there because it's oh, a yeah, nice yeah. picture of the board there. So. Yeah, looks good. Yeah, coming together there. Uh, you know, I like to take pictures in between because I'm well. I'm going to share it. Some people might like to see, you know, the in between. And this time around, it took me a lot less to put it back, uh, put it together because I was a little bit more confident. I was like, all right, I know this works. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was a little faster. I was able to put it together in probably three hours or something like that. Three or four okay. hours. And this is the one you just released. You're showing you're fixing up the RF and stuff here. So, yeah, um, it's only two minutes. So I'll play the whole thing. And then if you want to comment and, and, and would, did you want to point out your RF uh, hack there? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, you'll see it now in the video, but. Uh, well, I, basically, I just... my Coco yeah. 2 assembled with my blue board. All right. Is it loud enough, Steve? Yeah. yeah. There it is. Yeah. Everything lines up. Except the reset switch is a little offset, but I've already fixed that in the PCB. Looks like a Coco. Yeah. This weird contraption over here. <laughs> what is, uh, the hell is that? Sort of improve the RF, but... <laughs> You know, once so, it's you all know, assembled and I've got... The you know, RF is just all over the place, you know, shield, sometimes it looks good, whatever that is. sometimes it doesn't, you know, and it, who knows why, right? So it's, there's a lot of noise these days now from our cell phones and stuff like that. But, uh, so I was like, ah, do I make a 60 hertz filter or, you know, do a Faraday cage, you know, and you're thinking all these, you know, engineering things. And I was like, ah, hey, you know what, let me just start playing with it until it looks good. <laughs> We get out the I like, tin foil. I like the way you incorporated a tin foil hap, squashed it into a tube shape, and just stuck it on there, and away it worked. <laughs> I'm sure there's some physics behind it. You know, somebody will write a paper on that. You know, 100 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Now, was this the name brand Reynolds wrap, or did you use like a generic tinfoil? Or does it... <laughs> oh, generic. Also, I wanted to yeah. you know, did you put the schematic for your RF enhancer there onto the GitHub as well? <laughs> now, putting it together as we speak. So I'm seeing a lot of that, the snow, <laughs> the snow falling on the screen right now. That's that's still some of the noise. The picture itself is very clean, though. Yeah, the picture looks clean, yeah, and that's still some of the noise. Uh, but, I mean, it was way worse. It wasn't even okay. level. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty fuzzy on the original one. Yeah. Now, for you other hardware types here, is it would this just be RF, or would this be maybe a slight, very slight timing problem? Could be. It looks a lot like sparklies, doesn't it? Yeah. Like noise. It's like noise. You can download. So noise from oh from the circuitry you're saying. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it's a random spark. Yeah, trace timing issues or something weird. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe the traces need to be moved around. You know. But yeah, I mean, you had shown on one of your earlier videos, like you, you the artifacts was out of phase reading the, the rigor colors, and there was a oh, yeah, lot was, more snow on the screen. Oh it yeah, before ugly. it was much, much. It was worse. The quality was worse, and you saw the artifact. And it was green and and uh, red, right? Uh, was it green and yeah, uh, green and purplish or something? Green it's, and purple, yeah, green and purple. And you know, I, I heard someone, you know, and that's this is kind of how I remembered the game from way back when. And I was like, oh yeah, the colors must be wrong then, you know. So then I, sure enough, I went online and I. And I saw, uh, you know, that, yeah, you know, it's blue and red. So I was like, oh, what the hell's going on? So I started looking through it. It was, it, you know, I, I looked for it for a while. I couldn't find it. You know, I was like, well, let me just keep going with what I'm working on right now. I'll, I'll look for it later on. And then when I was assembling it, I, uh, when I was looking for the parts that were in the bill of materials, it's like, I can't find this capacitor. But I got this one left over. I'm like, oh, it's the wrong one. That's what it was in there. So that's when I figured, I was like, ah, oh, that's got to be it. And yeah, well, sure enough. Yeah, because that's that same face in the Apple II actually used where you could switch between those two to get the, the two alternate sets of colors. Yep. Exactly. That one bit on the video screen to control which phase you were using. So, I mean, I guess I could put a switch in to put the two different capacitors and, and switch between the two, you know, and get more colors. But uh, I don't know. Uh, this is still my favorite part of the video. This, this, yeah, this thing's is awesome. <laughs> the coolest choke ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tin foil, that's alligator clips, quality. we got all kinds of stuff here. Coil of wire, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how we had to improve the picture back in the day. We had the rabbit ears, and we made like the tin foil flags that went on the ends yeah. of them, and you had and to, you have to stand in one leg and hold yeah. one arm up to the ceiling. Kept twisting. Definitely inspired by that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely inspired by that for sure. Uh, that makes yeah. it period correct. <laughs> <laughs> all that's missing is a Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, I thought it was awesome. Plus, the, the picture really did clear up. So, if you compare the videos earlier that he when he first started the project with the first board, or when he first got the second boards, and you can see it's a it lot more snow. And yeah. what you don't see is I have another TV that I hook it up, and no matter what, not even with uh, this magical thing there, does it look good on the other TV? It's just this one. So I was like, mm. Oh man, I, I wonder what the hell's going on there. But now, have you ever so, actually tried it with a CRT? TV as well as besides an LCD or does that make any difference? No, so I did try. So I, I you know, I have my one CRT that I took out of the trash years ago and uh, I've been using for all this sorts of stuff. And just the other day, you know, I got the, you know, horizontal line across so I know there's something wrong there. And then I tried to repair it and I really could not get it. It got worse and let out the magic smoke. And uh, so, and it was really rusted out on the inside. So I had to throw that one away. So I, I am still looking through garbage piles for the next TV, the next CRT. Now, what I might have to do to this is go ahead and put in, uh, you know, like an S video or a composite video on there and see what it looks like. Yes. I do have. I do have yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, even Tandy had an option. It was only for the educational market. Unfortunately, they didn't sell it, you know, to regular people in the stores. But they actually had a composite version of the Coke with two officially that they sold oh. to schools. Oh, in okay. France. Uh, well, no, in North also, America, too. Oh. There could also yeah. be a reason that they went through three different RF cans on the Coco 2. You know? <laughs> they had the Why? vertical one. They had the one that laid down. You know, yeah. they... They tried a couple of different things. Well, they obviously never had this. This would have solved everything. Yeah. Sort of <laughs> right? <with> it, so. <laughs> I want to put that up on eBay and see if it... Yeah. <laughs> Watch, you'll sell more of these and you'll ever sell the boards. <laughs> For Just sure. put the word rare and vintage in the description. And it'll <laughs> yeah. sell. Uh, rare, vintage. You could sell it as much uh, as Donut Dilemma costs in Australia. RF signal <laughs> manual attenuation adjustment. <laughs> Probably make more dough on this. Yeah, right? <laughs> What you're missing Easier to is source a black... the parts for it, too. Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> what you're missing is a black box with the switch on it. Ah, and a blinky LED light. You need that, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> true, true, true. I'll add that. I'll add that. Let me add that to the schematic right now. <laughs> cool stuff. Uh, next up, we have a couple things from Simon here. So the first one is uh, an updated video showing that smooth scrolling VDG screen hardware trick that Kieran's used before, too. So let me just play a little bit of that. Look at that. Cool stuff. And of course, that's using that trick where you fool the, between the SAM and the VDG by switching the video mode so that it restarts the counter internally so it thinks it's starting on the, an even line of text and it's not. But you still got a little bit of glitching there. And, fix and the it second in one post. he did... Sorry, go ahead. So we'll fix it in post. The second one he did was a demonstration of using the 1-bit sound at the same time as a 6-bit sound, like basically flipping between the two to do multi-voice music, as opposed to doing the mathematical add the two or three or voices you know, together and then dividing by the amount to average the signal out. This is actually using the two different sources. So, so that technically make it 7 bits? You're doing 1-bit and 6-bit yeah. at the same time? Yeah. I'm not sure which voice is on which one, but I think this is the one. This is the sawtooth one. That's kind of crunchy one. Because there's not too many programs that use both simultaneously. Stagrath's one. They did the sound effects of the monster and stuff with the six bit, and the heartbeat was just the one bit. Okay. But not too many use both. It's the same song I think he used in his demo. Yeah, from a couple years back. So, so is it already happening this whole time? I'm waiting for something else to kick in. This is it. This is using both right now that we're already hearing. Or yeah, one voice is in one bit, one voice is in six bit. It's hard to tell. Yeah, well, part of that I think is inherent sawtooth because it's kind of a rougher sound to begin with. Okay. So that kind of equalizes out compared to a one bit. Okay. Yeah, I was waiting to hear like a whole other layer kick in or something, but that was it, huh? Yeah, I really couldn't yeah. tell the difference between the mixture. Hey, Ron, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, Barry Nelson's actually been kind of busy lately, so he did a couple things. Some things were requested from people on Facebook, and then some things he kind of just extrapolated beyond beyond that. So he released some images of both ROMs and discs. So this first one here is a headless Nitrous 9 Level 1 disc. This is basically a boot disk that does not have the VDG driver for driving the 32-column screen. It's meant to be running off the serial port terminal. So if you have a PC with a terminal program plugged in or you actually have one of the old terminals, like an 80-column terminal or something like that, 
you can boot up OS9 level one on the Cocoa one and two, or Nitrous Nine level one in the Cocoa one and two, and actually log in on your 4080Com screen or on your PC with the terminal program or whatever you wanted to. So this is a version of that. Um, and he's got versions in there for 300, 600, 1200, 2400 baud through the Bitbanger. So if you just have a straight Cocoa with a Bitbanger and a drive or an SDC, you can actually fire it up and you'll program it or run it in 80 columns on your own PC or even higher if you want. You can do like 130 columns or whatever. So, so that's kind of neat. How much SysRAM do you get back by not having the VGA and term and all that? Um, well, you'd have to add, add in the Bitbanger driver, which is not too big. That's only like 400 bytes or something like that. The uh, VDG driver, I think, is a couple of K. So you'd get a couple K back in your system app from your 64K. So it's a pretty substantial amount. Sweet. I mean, even 80-column cards, if they map the memory into the Coco, you have to take a couple K just for the 80-column screen. Now, there are some other ones, like the one that the Dragon uses that on the Dragon Plus board, where that card has its own RAM for the video, so the Coco doesn't use up in the memory there either. So its driver is a bit simpler. But this is simpler yet, even, because you're not dealing with you know having to do cursor XYs and keeping track of stuff. You're just blasting stuff straight up to the serial port and letting the, the terminal itself handle it. And the second one he did here, um, for those of you familiar, ADOS 3 was a, uh, Art Flexer did that as an extended DOS, and he did the original ADOS for the Cocoa 1 and 2, so they added some extra things like double-sided drive support and um, 40 tracks and stuff like that. And then he did an extended ADOS 3, which is a 16K disk ROM. Now, the standard Tandy one's like 6.5K. So this has got a lot of enhancements. This has RAM drive support, auto line numbering, um, a built-in screen editor. It's got a ton of stuff built into it. And uh, what he's done here is he's actually made a 16K extended ROM that you can actually burn into a ROM itself if you want to replace one, if you have a 16K ROM on your uh, disk controller, or if you want to hack it to be able to handle 16K ROM. Or you can make it an SDC image and actually put it into one of the slots on the SDC. And he's got this particular one set up so that it actually executes the DOS command automatically. So if you wanted to automatically boot Nitrous 9 or something like that, from the ROM itself, then you can actually just put this in. If you hold down the shift key, it'll skip that and just boot to disk space or extend ADOS 3 basic. So that was kind of a neat neat feature because a few people had asked for that too that wanted to put it on a real disk controller if they didn't have an SDC or if they were trying to run off a real floppy. Plus, for those of you who've never tried extended ADOS 3, it's actually quite nice. It's probably the best. Uh, for, for basic programs, I'd say it's actually better than HDB DOS and uh, YA DOS because those are all extended DOS functions for the most part. This extends actually some of the basic stuff. So some of the stuff like editing your basic programs and stuff like that is all enhanced in here too. So that actually adds a lot of features for the basic program that would be quite nice to have. So Barry's been busy. Yep. Next up, uh, Paul Fiscarelli put up a video showing his newly acquired SWTPC 6809 system. Now this is a system that predates the Cocoa with the 6809. And uh, he also got a... Uh, cloned a 6-bit DAC and NewTek Model 68 music card port, which would originally came out in 1977. So this is a 6-bit DAC-based system before the Coco had their 6-bit DAC. So he's been fiddling a lot with this. Now, the SWPC is actually one that used to run OS9 and Flex back in the day, too. So I, I remember reading about these. It was a kind of a competitor to the gimmicks. So I grabbed this Southwest Technical Product 6809-based system last November, right around Thanksgiving time. Hi. This, this is back in the day when these these kits were sold with these big honking cases and metal and wow. stuff like this too. So this is this is like Altair level type stuff. That is cool. I'm up for sale on Facebook, and I wasn't quite sure what I would do with it at the time. But since they don't, I mean, this is like a 40 minute video, so I'll just skip ahead a bit here. So here he is uh, wiring up his clone of the uh, 
the six-bit DAC board that was a peripheral board that was sold in 1977 for the SWTPC. So then he worked with Simon and actually uh, started working on getting the sound generated. So they took some of the sound algorithms that were done back in the day and then enhanced them with you know self-modifying code and stuff to speed them up. But it actually sounds pretty good. And you can see as I'm changing these values, see because uh, the music good, sample here. has been extensively rewritten almost to the point. Yeah, you can kind of just see from the credits here, I'll just the original Hal Chamberlain from Byte Magazine, September 1977, about how to do multi-voice on a single DAC. Wow. And then there's you know, been updates by, in Rainbow and Color Computer News and 68 Microjournal. And then, you know, Paul and, and Simon did their own enhancements to it as well. And then they go through how the tone tables are set up and... Insane. ...to take and manually transcode note data and note durations from sheet music and... Yeah, some utilities they used to actually so create the music itself. So what I did is... Uh, <laughs> this is insane. These guys are... With the harsh, they're kind <laughs> animals. Of loud. So you, uh, this is one of Simon's favorite okay. speaker systems. Do we get to hear it now? We'll, uh, right. that kind yeah, of be here. Um, the other thing I wanted to show you real quick is I've got... My PCB uh, layout. I guess, uh, guys, got a big, big screen up on the wall. In within the next couple of days, and uh, hopefully yeah, they use the mount. Well. Like. All right, so I'm going to get this set up, and we'll be right back. So to send the file over to the Southwest system, we bring up our Does fit in the box. and send text binary file. Yeah, there it is inside the uh, chassis so in there, huh? He's yep. got an S50 bus breadboard that just plugs in. How cool is that? S19 nice. um, so Actually, an S100. S100 uh, uh, This is going over 9600 baud, so it goes fairly quick. Um, it's only uh, a few K of a file. It's not very big either. Okay, so it's all set. One other thing I'm going to change. Um, I currently have this assembled for... Uh, the color computer, and what I'm going to do, uh, which is set at one megahertz. So what I'm going to do is change the tempo, and uh, to do that, um, the tempo value is located at memory location zero e three six. So we can go in. And this computer did not come with its own keyboard and uh, monitor or, or anything like that as a standard. You had to hook up terminals to it. So that's what he's kind of doing from his Mac. Change that to And again, to start. And that was test, common to those kit computers back in the seventies. Zero E zero zero, and then we hit go. Can you hear that? Okay, or is that turn up? Yeah, turn it up a little bit. I love seeing it on the scope there. Yep. Nineteen seventy-seven. You said. Yep. Two years before the Coco came out. Two years before the Atari 400 800 yeah, we'll came bring out. Bring in the amplified. Basically, the same year that the Apple II, the Pet, and the Model One came out. Oh, listen to it now. Cranking up the bass. You can turn it down a little bit, Curtis. Okay. Okay, that's good. Now you can hear the low end because you brought up the amplifier. Yeah. That's nice. First. It doesn't sound like the uh, four voice organ sound. Yeah, that's right. Actually, it's a little bit different waveform, so. And they look like sine waves when you see them in the scope there. They're not sawtooth. Right. It's pretty clean. You don't hear a lot of the uh, kind of harmonic distortion here sometimes. 
Yeah. I mean, the Coco is perfectly capable of doing this type of waveform, too. Um, the one thing bad on the Coco is that that PIA that the sounds generate from is shared with some other hardware. So if you're trying to read joysticks or keyboard, you have to keep flipping between modes. And this is a read, now it's a write, now it's a read again. And if you don't time it right, you get little pops and crap in it. This is more pure, like there's a separate card that is just doing outputs. That's bloody weird. Well, it looks like the waveforms are kind of switching around. Sometimes it looks a little sawtoothy. Sometimes right. it looks a little... mixing four voices together and when you can score four or eight different waveforms okay. that Hal Chamberlain code was set up so that you could do quite a bit with it that even wasn't done in the article because he was doing it on a Kim one but the way that he wrote the original code that inspired all this other stuff was to have four separate voices with their waveforms being mixed and played back yeah, and one of the Coco oh. ones did that too, where each each of the four voices had its own separate waveform. I think even Musica did that, if I remember correctly. A lot of people didn't bother because they didn't. Yes, Musica does that. Like how the gameplay is on this. Wow. Was that Dave? I think somebody's playing one of David's videos. David's oh. muted. You looking for the oh. really? Really? Yeah, sorry. It's I okay. didn't know it's coming through. That's okay. No. Okay. Oh, it's a really, really we, cool, uh, you know, not. Coco directly, but it is based on some Coco code Absolutely. that was done. So yeah, it's sixty eight oh nine, man. This is Coco DNA right here. Yep. Yeah. And Next the up, the, the, Coco uh, the amount of insanery that had to go on to put all those pieces together, you know, with yeah. Paul Fiscarelli and then recreating the uh, audio board and then getting Simon Jonasson to tweak the player and all that kind of stuff. That's just a huge amount of collaboration and insanity going on there. Sorry about yeah. that. Okay. Latest Coco Crew. What do we got? Yeah, just dropped yesterday. So uh, go out and grab the episode there. So uh, the basic uh, things here are the uh, description of the extended basic timer function. That's the tech talk part. The review of Double Back by Niels Corner. And the host discussion uh, was based on a post on Facebook, which when I tried to link, it seems to have been deleted, or at least the link broke at any rate. But it was basically, it was, uh, you know, the hobby's not being fun anymore. That's not saying like the Coco communities had a problem. It's the prices are shooting through the roof is basically the premise of this thing. Because you know, mm. people are trying to pick up a Coco 3 and now it's three $400 type thing. So that's one thing that, you know, that's not fun having to cough up that much cash if you're trying to get back into the thing. Okay, and hold. that's where, you know, making breadboards and stuff might actually help because maybe we can start, you know, right. Hold, hold that thought for one second because as soon as I hear the Cocos are too hard to find or too expensive, the first thing I think of is Cocoa Pie. And because that, and it's not, it's not real hardware, but it's, it's inexpensive and it's a way to recreate a lot of the magic. And which also reminds me, I was listening to the playback of, of your, when you guys were talking to Ron Klein last week mm-hmm. and there was something you were saying about the cocoa pie where you were asking the question, is there, was there a problem or compatibility problem with the Pi four? But what I think you were meant to say was the Pi 400. Because the Pi 4 image always worked. There was never an issue oh, yeah, with sorry, the Pi yeah, 4. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but when the Pi 400 first came out, which is the one that has the built-in keyboard, kind of looks like a Commodore 128, there was, if you took the stock image from the website, which was for the Pi 4, and tried to run it on the Pi 400, it did not detect the keyboards. And that required the operating system to be updated. So there was technically, there was never a Pi 4 issue, but there was an early issue with the Pi 400 which is now fixed. Yeah, thanks um, for the correction, because that actually is yeah. what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so somebody says the Cocos are expensive. Uh, you know, that is an unfortunate um, byproduct of the community growing and the, de- and the demand rising. 
but the the alternative would be um, you know some of these hardware alternatives and, and the like Cocoa Pie, Mister, um, or like the Cocoa Two clones that are coming out. But honestly, yeah. if you want to play with your Cocoa, uh, Cocoa Pie is a great way to do it. It's not the real hardware, but once you get past that, it's the real experience. And as like what Ron Klein was saying, there's so much stuff on that image. There's so much you can do. Um, in such yeah. a little form factor and for less than $100 to have a Pi 4 with the case and the heat sinks and the fans and the you know, HDMI cables and the power plaque, you can get everything and the SD card for under $100 and then you can run MC10s and Cocoa 1, Cocoa 2, Cocoa yeah. 3, DriveWire, MC Server. There's so much you can do on that Cocoa yeah, Pi. So, yeah, and yeah. then of course it's a, it's a full Raspberry Pi so you can run Linux and Raspbian and you can run the RetroPie images and, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, that is to me is so compelling that it depends uh, on what you're approaching. Well, like what part of the hobby you're coming back to though. If you're a hardware tinker, like Pedro is, I mean, getting a pie is not going to let you build cocoa hardware. No, so that, no, no. True. There's nothing true, true, for true. you whatsoever. That's yeah. for the software people. So I, I kind of understand what they, I like, I, I kind of basically agree with what he's saying. I mean, it does suck that it, the prices are shooting up the roof and we've got some people that are strictly collectors. And I mean, some of them just put them on a shelf, never touch them. And to some people, that's a bit of a waste. Like you should be using them at least, you know, letting them be used in the wild type thing, which I mean, I can see both. I mean, some people like collecting, some people like yeah. you know, playing with the real stuff. So it, it depends. But I do agree that uh, the prices, especially on the Cocoa 3, the Cocoa 1 and 2 is still somewhat affordable. There's enough of those around. You can you can get them. But the Cocoa 3 is getting to be, you know, the, the unicorn. Does the does the Cocoa Pi run on a Pi Zero? No, it's a Pi 3, Pi 4. Recommended a Pi, Pi 4. 4. Yeah, the, the, he did try it, and it runs just too slow, I think, when it's I remember. Too slow. Especially for Cocoa 3. I'll notice they mentioned the Glenside newsletter. That's the guys. Thanks for mentioning yep. that, guys. Treasure well, Defense. Can you imagine if it would run on a Pi Zero, though? And you can make, like, a you know an iPhone size Cocoa. <laughs> Oh, run a Pi Zero. I mean, that's $5 computer. <laughs> Nimble says, with the rising cost of Cocoa Entertainment, Cocoa Pies are real bargains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the Mister just went up in price, too, because didn't Intel stop their subsidy, so it suddenly jumped up 40 bucks yeah. a crack or something? I think I've been seeing that on the Amigos channel, because a lot of people are complaining about it, that the price went up quite a bit. Yeah, that's uh, the e-board, I guess. Yeah. Okay, right, next up. Um, we've got a video from a guy named Tom Best that I'm not familiar with before, but he kind of goes into his very first computer was a Coco 2. And this is his original one, as you can tell by the yellowed case, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But he kind of goes through his, his history with it. And he actually, um, he did the hardware tinkering, which actually shows them in here. I'll fast forward to that in just a second. But he also did some programming. So he was writing some basic game stuff. And he'd write ML subroutines to speed certain parts up. So he was pretty well an all-around guy on it. So he was just kind of doing a history of, of what it was like. So uh, here's his, you know, Coco 1 and 2, he's taking the part. He's got the vertical can one, so it's basically the same design. But he's already yeah. got some extras on here that he added himself. Coco 3 keyboard. Deluxe keyboard. A deluxe, because it's got the black. Oh, the black bezel. Oh, okay. yeah. he, he made the same mistake in the video. He thought it was a Coco 3 keyboard. And I was going to say, because key, the keys were a lot wider than the case was. I didn't notice at first that what Ron just pointed out, that's not the stock keyboard. Uh, this is a later generation where they, they simplify things and it has a much smaller motherboard, as you can tell from looking here. Um, so I'll just tell you a couple things about this very quickly here. You can see uh, a lot of videos of people using these things on uh, YouTube and whatnot. So oh, Fast forward, we were talking about that little handmade thingy stuck into the keyboard there. It's got a couple of functions. Uh, 
well for me. So I, uh, I added a video output, and that's what this little uh, circuit board here was for. And actually did a couple things. So this it looks kind of funny, this little set of sockets right here. But what this socket did right here, uh, I had a... Um, Basically, this is a hex, I think it's a hex inverter chip here. What else is on this one here? Let me see. I'm not sure exactly, but I remember it's been a long time, folks. I pulled this out of a box. It's funny I still have this. Basically, these transistors are an amplifier for a video output. So just it's a standard um, output. I added this jack in the back. I hook up a monochrome monitor. So I didn't care about the color on this, even though it said color capability. I was doing programming. I wanted a good, clean color. And I used, I think, a VM2 monitor. If I recall, it was actually amber color, not green. But I had that uh, monitor plugged into this, but the way the color computer normally displays is only uppercase, and it would give you a big green blocky screen. You have 32 characters wide and 16 characters down, all uppercase. Lowercase were shown in inverted uh, case. So um, if you know your ASCII characters, you learn a little bit about that. You learn that you can flip over one bit and actually invert the, 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 the case. That's what this basically did right here. So this chip would do an inversion on the, the correct pin for the video display generator chip, which had unplugged and plugged in this socket. Oh, so he got inverted here. text on his and, monitor. Uh, so yeah, like that way I can dark have, on, So basically um, did a composite mod and the uh, inverted video okay. switch all in one shot, basically. So. Gotcha. so actually, he really knows what he was doing here, so I'll have to reach out to him and see if he wants to get more active in the community again because he, he did these he did this video just to kind of do a history for his channel like this is how i got started in computers kind of like ah. pedro said you know that's where you started the coco too so I don't, I don't know if he's got any interest in you know, pursuing it in, in modern times like pedro's been doing or even designing his own motherboards or whatever but uh, <laughs> but yeah there's a lot of people kind of coming coming out and saying you know that's what got their career started and i think that's something that's a bit more weighted on the coco side i think more people got into hardware or got into programming on the Coco proportionally compared to some of the more popular 8-bits like the Commodore 64s and stuff, which I think a lot of people just use them as game machines that happen to be a computer. And I think proportionally, our like our, our, our numbers are a lot smaller in total, but I think proportionally within those numbers, we have more people that actually took it as an educational thing and went to the next level of hardware and or software. And others, people, you know, they just went on to buy Nintendo or whatever afterwards, so... I think so. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah. yeah. All right, because the Coco strong point was programming. It didn't have sprites or anything, so it was kind of weak on gaming. But the 6809 was a good engine for writing stuff. Yeah, and we had some really good OSs like uh, Flex and OS9. And, and it was a really good hack hardware hackers computer, as all well, you hardware guys can attest to. So this board's just like the blue one, huh? It seems like it's got the vertical can, yeah. Yeah, Is that like, the exact one? Can you tell, Pedro? If yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, it looks. It looks to be the same. Yeah, it does have the vertical RF cam. It would make yeah. sense if you had. And notice they take the solder mask off where the clips are. Yeah. Yeah, that's how they came. They had that bare spot under the clips. Yeah, that's what made the ground connection. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense if you had the Milky keyboard. You'd upgrade to the, the deluxe keyboard. Yeah, actually, I did send him a message on text there because he was he was saying it was a Coco Three keyboard. And I mentioned that the Coco Three keyboard has a light gray plastic background. The Deluxe has the black, and that this was actually the unreleased keyboard from the Deluxe, which was supposed to come out in 1985 until Tandy canceled the project after they had 50,000 boards made and a bunch of keyboards made, <laughs> and they oh, threw out all the motherboards and everything else. What a waste! Prototype. 
What yeah, it'd be great to get, a, get your hands on one of those. It would have been. There's a few of those are kicking around. Boise's got one, for example. But, like uh, kind of like what they did with the educational thing, where they had stuff where they said, "Look, we're not going to build this anymore, so we'll just put all the parts in a freaking bag and sell it to the schools where they can have a yeah. make it a kit and right. build your own cocoa." They could have done something like that, where just build your own deluxe cocoa. And some of those might have still, be, you know, a few more have been in the wild if they had done that, if they had just sold the boards and stuff. as. Uh, yeah, and that was a nice machine. It had a hardware shield chip built onto the motherboard. It had uh, composite video built on the motherboard, the sound chip from the speech sound pack built on the motherboard. Um, a better sure. basic ROM with had a RAM disk built in, all kind, kinds of stuff on that. And most nine drivers were done. I've actually seen the source code for them. So there's a guy who knows how to remake... Motherboards. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to dig one up from El Gordo or wherever it is. Yeah, but you know, as as you guys were talking to Pedro and, and the uh, and the feature creep started flowing in. Well, we could add this and we could add that and everything else. And the questions have, have been asked: Has anybody thought of making a modern day cocoa? And I think you know, I threw in my two cents that for for us people, if you made anything new. And we aren't having this problem now. We've got all these add-on pieces of hardware that are not yet being fully exploited. So we've got multiple sound solutions. We've got all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, you could throw the kitchen sink on a motherboard and you could integrate everything. But how many people are going to have it, number one, and how many people are going to support it? So any new and improved cocoa that is made, it's in, in my opinion, if for me to buy it, it would have to be 100% backwards compatible with every other cocoa piece of hardware and software and then you know anything that came out to take advantage of the new bells and whistles would be great but it would still have to be coco one two or three compatible for for me anyways i, I realize i might be in the yeah. minority but i wouldn't want to buy some pseudo coco thing that's not completely compatible because to me what's the point you know yeah and that's where you get into the problems with you know stuff like the coco 3 fpj because it adds a ton of stuff here but it's it's not really a coco anymore at that point it's it's its own thing Right, right, right. So I don't know, like a deluxe might be something because we never did actually have it in the wild. There are a few that are, exist that are out in collectors' hands. I mean, that mm. would be something to kind of be cool to see, you know, actually play with. When we have software for it, we don't have the ROMs. That's one thing. Somebody's going to have to take the ROMs out of the existing ones that are still around and actually, you know, duplicate them off because Microsoft and, did do some enhancements. And honestly, for me, I, this is just my wishful thinking, but let's say we didn't get into the fact that we've added, um, you know, sound chips and, and blah, 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 and throw the kitchen sink at the motherboard. If somebody could just make a hardware compatible Coco 1 or 2 motherboard, but had that supported like USB, where I could plug in a wireless keyboard to it. And, uh, you know, like USB and HDMI, just a couple of modern conveniences, but there was no other new hardware at all. If it didn't have a sound chip, if it didn't have a real-time clock, but it was a new Coco that I could plug in a few modern accoutrements to, that would be valuable to me. Because that's what I love about the Pi. I can put the Pi on a little shelf somewhere, and I've got a wireless keyboard and a wireless joystick. So I'm not tethered to the device. I, Isn't that you know, what Mr. Davies done? Uh, in a sense, but he he's using a Raspberry Pi and all kinds of other stuff to augment a real Coco. But like, if somebody was to make a new Coco, that would be features I'd like to see. Is that you know USB or you know Bluetooth or something like that, where I could plug in other keyboards and controllers to it, um, but still have it be hardware compatible and software compatible with old stuff like cartridges and DINs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I know one thing I was mentioning in the chat earlier, and this is actually something Tandy had kind of designed in the Coco 3 design for the future. Unfortunately, that never happened. 
was to have an internal disk controller. And the Coco 3 is actually set up so that it could, it could do that in the ROM and in the controller chip. Hmm. And having, the say, something like the Coco SDC built onto the motherboard as part yeah. of it so that your cartridge slot is free for whatever else you want. And you have the SDC built in and maybe have a little slot on the top you can you know, come out and just put your SD card right directly into. Yeah, or or even just having like the, the equivalent of a of an MPI built into the main board. So you've got kind of like a bus like the Apple II had where you could plug in yeah. multiple cards yeah, into in the slot. same thing. But now you got a bigger PCB. So, you know, where, where do you make your... Um, oh. yeah. yeah, there's a lot of things you could do. Like, yeah. like, like Pedro mentioned, you can customize his current design to whatever you want. So. Right. But oh, maybe you know, the community can get together and say, you know what, we do want a new Coco, and you know, let's try to standardize a new design, and then uh, you know, make one that everyone's or mostly everyone's happy with. Well, you're never going to have everyone happy. To be, yeah, yeah, be careful yeah. what you but ask you for a, when you if start. If you get a majority, to, though, that might yeah, not be a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. When you start, when you start getting these design by committee, feature creep, community contributed nightmares uh you're, you're gonna wish you never opened up the question so <laughs> whoever sends you money follow their yeah yeah and, and then honestly with, that's true with anything else too um it really should be kind of like a GoFundMe. where okay here's the design but i don't want people to say yeah i want it yeah i'm gonna buy it now put your money where your mouth is if we're gonna start yeah. buying parts and producing things you need the prepay pre-order and now we know we've got the money we've got the interest we've got x number of consumers already out there and now we're going to make it happen because if not everybody's going to say yeah it would be great i'll buy one and then never buy it you know so yeah, th- those would be concerns that i would have too if i was going to be fronting my money to design something so yeah that's true that's true yeah so but yeah we live in a time where very few things aren't possible anymore you know circuits and motherboards and replacement parts 3d printing you know it's insane yeah right the fear like i said, got good uh, the fear I got when I started getting back into this, like, oh my God, you know, this there's a finite life. You know, some of these chips aren't produced anymore. You can't get them. You know, it's good to see that you know FPGAs are replacing some of this stuff. But it'd be good to see you know these things little by little being replaced. I mean, I'm not saying like the cocoa pie because I'm sorry, the yeah, the cocoa pie. Uh, I'm saying more like having chips, chip replacements because I do like you know the you know being able to pull the chips out and playing with the board and and understanding that part of it. Right. But, uh, you, you know, uh, but it, 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 I got a little bit scared. I'm like, oh, wow, this will one day die unless something's done about it. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, that, that the whole open source project you're involved with, which is trying to duplicate, you know, motherboard designs from a lot of old machines here is basically to cover that history. Because once, you know, these boards crack or melt or you know, get destroyed in fires or whatever, they're going to be gone yeah. and there won't yeah. be any of these. Well, other than FPGA, is there a way to reproduce chips that aren't being manufactured anymore? Like something like the salt or the SAM or, you know, one of some of these. So luckily um, the salt is one of those where it can be, you know, it's easily reverse engineered. You know, there's enough documentation on it where you don't really need the salt. They just wanted to save space, but they tell you what it is. You know, yeah. so that's, a, that's an easy one. Uh, I think like the SAM's a harder one. You can still get the 6809. Uh, I think it's Rochester Electronics sells it. Uh, yeah, and the 6309, which is a drop-in replacement with enhancements, has been out since the 86 from the Tathy too. So. Yeah. So those are still being made. Uh, so you know, but they're expensive. You know, but you know, uh, FPGAs can do obviously you know uh, this sort of stuff. But you know, what's our, at a certain point? I guess people ask, well, is you know, is it still the same thing? You know. Yeah, we've had those discussions lots. <laughs> yeah, but maybe you know, like I saw one guy made a sixty-five hundred two. He emulated a sixty-five hundred two on a on an at at, at mail chip, um, and it worked. You know, like the chip, you know, I, I think he plugged it into a board and everything. So, you know, things like that can probably be recreated in uh, microcontrollers and stuff. 
um, and and probably get more life out of this. Yeah, who knows? Right. Yeah. The, the the greatest thing I think right now is we have things like CPLDs, FPGAs, 3D printers, and stuff like Stevie was mentioning, where we can now do this stuff a lot cheaper. Like it's always been possible for somebody to try to design a chip replacement or design a new case or whatever, but it was just phenomenally expensive. So you'd never do it unless you had a huge market you were going for. Right. And now, like you, you got five printed C, you know, PCB boards duplicating a Cocoa one and two for how much? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would have been thousands back, you know, yeah. twenty years ago. I- I mean, total with shipping and everything, I think it was like 46 or $47 hmm. for the five boards. That's not terrible. for yeah. No, it's not bad at all. Yeah, right. Especially for that size of a board. I mean, we're used to seeing yeah. smaller things like a Gimme X or a RAM upgrade, but that's a full-size board. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're getting some I answers mean, from the live chat in here on that too. Yeah, so Sixty saying Sam is pretty well documented. Some of the internal implementation details have useful side effects that you'd want present in a replacement. Uh, Dave Phillips and pretty much any chip could be duplicated with like an ASIC application specific IC, but it would be prohibitively expensive in our quantities, meaning we're not we're not doing a lot of these in our community. I guess uh, it depends what you mean by probably expensive. Like, like give me access an FPGA basically, and he's selling that for less than a hundred dollars, uh, even with RAM. ASICs are usually specially designed over a purpose. So yeah. Like, oh yeah, we were talking like custom the, ASIC versus yeah, FPGA. Yeah, yeah an ASIC. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but yeah, it, I mean, the Gimme X is an example because it plugs into the Gimme X socket. I mean, it, you don't have that, to do yeah, that's, any motherboard that, around. Yeah, because you can't get those. There is no other stock of the Gimme chip for the Cocoa 3. So one had to be... And, and that's that's going to... I would imagine at some point in time, there are going to be certain chips that are just going to... They're going to evaporate off the planet. There's, they're not going to be any old stock to replace them with. So we're going to have to reinvent certain pieces of this machine at some point in time, you know? Yeah. Read Cool stuff. Okay, next up, uh, Brian Michael Smith. And this is a kind of, we alluded to it a bit earlier here. There was a article on uh, various technical sites here about somebody had made a Bitcoin miner program for the <laughs> Commodore 64. <laughs> and then uh, PC Gamer and some other people calculate it's going to take about 50 trillion years to make one single Bitcoin. So then the argument started, well, maybe the Coke could do it in 25 trillion Yeah, years, yeah, because so. it's a uh, 16-bit registers cut that in half, right? So, <laughs> And then they said, well, you know, we could run double speed in the Coke 3. It might only take like 17, 18 trillion years type thing. So. That's and I'm thinking 6 through 9, I could probably cut that down again to maybe right. like 10 or 15. It'd give me X, get it up to 2.86. Right. Right. Yeah, I might be able to get it under the 10 trillion year mark. Yeah. Welcome to this week's edition of Exercise in Futility. <laughs> yeah, some people view the entire retro hobby as that, though, Jason. So. Right. <laughs> you know, I um, I, I wear, like every now and then I'll wear one of my VCF t-shirts when I'm out and about. And I actually had a young guy at the, the, at the um, whatever, like your, your, gas, your gas station convenience stores. And he's like, VCF Midwest, what is that? And he goes, what is a vintage computing festival? I go, it's kind of like a Comic-Con for old computer nerds. And as soon as I said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. I go, you know, some people, some people are into classic cars and some people are into classic computers. And that was enough to answer the question where it made sense to somebody. <laughs> so, and, then, and then he kind of like just, you know. No, no, he was actually, he thought it was kind of cool. He was actually interested? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I thought he, he might have just said nerd and then walked away. Yeah, so. right. So. <laughs> uh, listen guys i gotta get off here I'm all right pinned. pedro hey, thanks well, for thanks, being thanks here for man coming by thanks for uh, producing the Thank board you. and thanks for the interview we'll, have, yeah. we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll chat more on discord i'm gonna tell you about my the florida retro club and stuff and yeah if i ever get down to my jammy i'll have to give you a, a call and Excellent, feel free yeah. to come on if you have any updates or even if you just want to take part in the panel <laughs> asking questions so 
Okay. Yeah. Thank Still you. hope to get you and ACs on the same time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, maybe next week. We'll see. All right. Sounds good. All right. All right. Thank okay. you very much. See ya. Take care. Bye. Next up, uh, John Lurie did uh, some little bit of programming here. So did you want to kind of explain oh, this? Oh, yeah, here? that was neat. I saw this video. Yeah, I was uh, – I saw this like 100 years ago somewhere, and I had reproduced it for a program I wrote also 100 years ago. And so I kind of revisited it today, and then someone in the um, in the comments there, uh, was it George Phillips, I think it was, mentioned that it, the same effect is in Robot Attack. And my mind was telling me that it was preserved, that I had seen it in the arcade, but maybe it was from Robot Attack. But in any case, when I saw the effect, I was like, I had just gotten into machine language programming, and I'm like, I know what's going on there. I can do that. <laughs> and so just the other day, I, I re, uh, recreated the routine. And basically, all you're doing is peeking into the video RAM, and if it's a space, you skip it and leave it alone. If it's not, you increment the value by one. And then you set a flag saying that you've made a change. And then at the end of the screen, when you get from the top to the bottom, you just check to see if a change was made. If it had, you basically just reset the flag and reset the beginning of the video and run it again. And you just keep doing it until it gets through the whole process with blank spaces. Because eventually, you know, you're advancing it around. If it gets up to 255, it's just going to roll around to zero again right. eventually it's going to get to the space right um and when it does it it gets skipped to the next time around so eventually it'll make it through when they're all spaces it'll make it through without setting the flag and that's how you know it's done and yeah, it's, it's a neat effect fast. i've actually seen it used on a few different uh plus there's some that do the bit the bit version like a p14 quite a few took the bite and just rotated the bits through kind of until they all went to zeros to clear it out and it do yeah. kind of a dissolve effect I think Outhouse basic, does that and some yeah, other games same too. Same basic idea, really. Yeah. yeah. I had to write that for... It's very visually, um, you know, it, it's very eye-catching, you know? Yeah. And it's very fast when you're dealing with a 512-byte screen Oh, yeah, I'm slowing assembly. it down. Yeah. I'm actually slowing it down here. If I take the, the delay out, it takes about a second and a half, two seconds or so. Yeah. Well, oh, even on the P-Mode 4 screen, I mean, it, 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 it goes pretty quick because I've had a few machine or games use that to you know dissolve between you died and starting the next screen or maybe transitioning to another level or yeah, something. And that's what twelve times the amount of memory So I'm just next gonna f- I'm just gonna okay. throw this out there just be based on time. We've I was hoping to wrap up the show today around five, which is in about twenty minutes. So we'll probably have time for news, but we might have to bump updates and acquisitions till I'm next week. I'm actually just about done the news. We've only got like oh, uh, really? five to left. So Okay. All right. And some of these will go quick. So this one here, um, Radio Shack is actually selling the Cocoa Badge T-shirts again. Now, that they had been selling it, and then they kind of disappeared for a while because I tried looking it up, and it was gone, but it seems to be back now. So if anybody wants the ones with the actual Cocoa version of the badge, right from Radio Shack itself, the current RGB. incarnation. <laughs> and they're actually on sale right now for $3 off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not really, but it's a fake Radio Shack. Really uh, next up, Robert Sieg, who's been doing a lot of experimentation. He's actually been writing some graphic editors and stuff here, too, for the MC-10. And he's got his TP-10 printer, and he made that banner program. Is now working on dumping graphics. Now, the TP-10, I haven't used one so long, but I think technically it's not supposed to support graphics normally. It's supposed to be a text-based printer only. And he's been doing some hacks to get it to do uh, actual graphics, and he has a little sample on the roll here. So he's actually working on some 
further tweaks to it. So he hasn't released the program for it yet because he wants to add some more functionality to it and get it to do some more interesting things. But uh, we might have a graphic dump for the TP10 coming soon. For the MC10. Very cool. TP10 and dump go hand in hand. Yep. Toilet paper 10. That's what it uh, Stick by that. Uh, next so, up in the... Dr- go ahead, Rick. I was just going to say toilet paper isn't that wide anymore since COVID. <laughs> they knocked a half inch off or... Government cutbacks. Yep. Next up, we've got the last three stories, which are all Dragon related. So John Whitworth, who's been making the Dragon Plus boards we've talked about, which is the 64K extended RAM and 80 column card and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so he's been uh, working on the things here. Then Now, he's basically the Dragon Plus is duplicating a board of the same name that was made by CompuSense back in the time period in the 1980s. And in this case here, he discovered a tiny error in the original CompuSense boards, which can cause some video problems on some of the original boards. And he's got a simple fix for it, which involves just adding one wire to the ground, which is, you know, he's highlighted a couple of different places you could tie it in from to fix the problem. So he's got that fixed on the newer versions of his board. But if you have one of the original versions of the board and it has that issue with the video, this little one wire patch will fix it right up. Well, thanks for sharing that. And then the next up here is he also got a video explaining an issue he was having with the new Dragon Plus board that he has also fixed now. That's too. some really cool VDG timing he's got going on there. Look at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, he was having a problem and he thought it was a problem with the Dragon Plus board. So he was swapping parts, trying to figure out what the heck was causing the issue. And basically, it ends up that he had a bad 78HCO4 chip on the Dragon itself. And it had nothing to do with his board at all. <laughs> So he was going through all this trouble for nothing, basically. But basically, he just, you know, runs, runs it to show that it is actually running correctly and then what exactly the fix was. So I will let you guys kind of, like, find that on your own if you're doing the uh, the dragon here. But uh, it was scrambling some of the characters. It was sh- shifting the screen over by one character and wrapping it around, doing all these weird things. And swapping that one little tiny chip out on the motherboard totally fixed it. That so, looks like John Lowry's demo right there. <laughs> yeah, kind of does. <laughs> You can do it through a program or through a hardware fault. Yeah. Take your pick. And then the last one here is from the Digital Orphanage. Now, we've covered them. This is the fourth of, out of four videos. So this is the guy that's been fixing all the Dragon 32s at the Computer Museum. Oh, the restoration guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he goes through and he goes through a bunch of these ones here where he's checking RAM and you know, finding out that he's got, you know, stuck bits on certain ones. And then he, you know, he wow. had a problem with the keyboard here. That's an here, impressive so uh, microscope he's got there, huh? Yeah, this yeah. is the faulty clear key here where you found that the, the soldering wasn't quite well. And I, this has got such beautiful photography. I think yeah. I'll show this little clip here just yeah. to see it. So we'll check that too. I'd like to see David Ladd's thumbnail Looking zoomed up like this. the joints for the clear key, it's clear. Look at that. Failed. Ooh. Ooh. So let's <laughs> clean and get some fresh that solder on That is a problem. Really? Vibration over time. It's got some of the ASMR music going on there too, huh? Yeah. And magic flux. Magic flux. Little reflow, little solder, fixes things right up. Sloopy just chimed in saying that's painful soldering to look at. It's awfully judgmental of you there, Sloopy. What we're listening to here now is the soothing sounds of solder <laughs> sucking. Let's throw it. Just relax. Be the show sucking too. Sure. <laughs> I like that effect where it changes color. I've never really watched soldering that close. 
Old joint. Old. <laughs> you're, you're, you were too busy clutching your hair. At that point. Yeah, well, the, the smell of that was kind of overpowering, I have to say. It's the same type, but with a faster speed rating. It should work fine, though. Although it's possible to unsolder an IC on a dragon. Yeah, this is where he had to replace the RAM chip, because he actually had a RAM test program of showing some stuck bits. Is he cutting the legs on this one? Yeah. Apparently on the dragon, it's soldered. Uh, I think well, actually, he probably explained it here, but uh, there was a reason he had to cut it, because it was so much easier. Quite tricky. So the easiest way is to snip off the faulty chip and unsolder it. Let me just rewind that a bit. It could be safer for the board to do it this way, but it's pretty destructive. Well, it destroys the original chip. This is the memory IC I could get. But an old is worth a dime. Yeah. It should work fine. Because you're worried about possibly popping up traces from the circuit board of too much heat or something. Absolutely. I think he explained, too, like it's soldered on both sides of the board. So the pins are soldered on the bottom and the top. You would have solder on the top and bottom because you would want to have plopper proper flow through then it's a case on your of solder joint, up the remaining so. solder and, and to get enough heat on it to do a proper flow through new lift the old traces right yeah because he was basically explaining he had to do it this way because if you have to like cut the pins off so you can desolder and then quickly get the pin pulled out well, he's and then trying to do it with, if he's trying to do it with the wick that 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 makes risk to damage you know uh you may have better luck with uh, like the desoldering tool like uh, myself and David he's and a few others have. He's got at least half of the desoldering tool on his right there, that Anstey thing. Maybe he doesn't have the vacuum part. Yeah, yeah the, the vacuum, the, the heated vacuum pump would be most helpful. But yeah, if I, if I just had if I just had solder wick and an iron, yeah, I would cut the chip out too, and that's what I had did in the past because I did not want to damage, damage the uh, traces yeah. on the circuit board, especially these uh, you know cheaply made ones. Yeah. So in this case, the museum had a ton of them, which he's done repairs on them before. So he fixed, you know, four of them had bad RAMs. Uh, the one had the bad clear key connector. So he's done all that. He's returned them. And now the computer museum is actually thinking of kind of selling a few of them off. They don't need that many in their collection. Okay. So they were going to have something where people can actually sell them and help support the computer museum. Oh, neat. Which is cool. And then he decided, you know, he's got to test some more games. So he did. Absolutely. <laughs> the title music suitably sets the scene. And thankfully the game gives you some control over the difficulty level. These are all the control instructions you're given though, with nothing printed in the cassette inlay. One thing missing from here is if you press the P to pause the game, you'll need to press R to resume, otherwise it looks like the game has crashed, because P does not unpause. Oh. As soon as you enter a room, ghouls will appear that will drain your life energy. In fact, just being in the mansion drains your energy, as the percentage ticks down rapidly. In this the very much looks corner. like a specky game. So straight away, I think it was actually. Yeah. For you to explore, to find food and spells to restore your health. The reason there were so many specky to dragon and vice versa ports is because the 256-192 resolution was common between both. The only difference was the specky had that second layer where you could do the color attribute. Colors, yeah. Which, of course, called the color clash thing because you... Everything in that square had to be the same yeah, color. Yeah, it's kind of like putting the plastic film over the CRT. It's just uh, it's going to be there. Uh, that's a lot of little squares. Yeah. And he, um, his photography, However, though, to be able to zoom in on those chips and stuff is amazing. Yeah, he's got a really he nice setup. Some, from a micro SD card, it can load emulator tape files for machines like the BBC, Spectrum, Lynx. And okay, so it's like the Castuino, similar to that, right? Or Max Duino, yeah. it's then called, huh? in real time the tape well, he actually makes machine. a comment. It's not really a Max because it doesn't work with everything. It doesn't work with WAV files, for example. It okay. has to be a special tape format. 
Then he goes through Airball, which explains how frustrating that game is. That looks very much like Night Lore. Looks like a specky game there, yeah. And here he was, you know, doing some work on the loading screen to a game will appear, but that's it. At first I thought it might be an issue with the tape loading hardware. The tape signal enters through the cassette port, goes through some components in this corner of the board, and across to pin 2 of the second Motorola peripheral interface adapter. A general input-output IC used for the keyboard, joysticks, etc. However, the logic probe shows pulses continuing throughout the load sequence, so the problem is likely somewhere else. But that's not the only issue. A memory test shows lots of bits stuck on and off in upper memory IC39. Could these issues be linked? Well, let's replace the memory IC and see if that helps. No socket? Yeah, I don't know why he'd mouse socketing. That would have made. Well, the memory error is now gone, but will it load again? Indeed, it does. Flagonbird. Notice I've managed to get Flagonbird loaded on a real Steve dragon. Bamford. Yep. Turns out Windows Media Player was cutting off the audio just before the end. Switching to VLC made it load first time. Now I have the Maxduino though, I only need to use this method on the MTX. Another reason to avoid Microsoft. That is so smooth, the uh, multiplayer background. Time for another break, and that of course means more games. More games. Sounds so much comments better. on Airball. He said, it isn't frustrating, it's just Possibly. 80s hard. That's very true. Games are much harder as they were designed that way. Perfect, pixel perfect jumps, etc. Given the process speed and the and modern, modern kids just don't, they're too spoiled. I still think today. this is the best battle zone clone we had. I think yeah. it's better than Rommel Just like the arcade version, you have to fire at where you think the enemy will be. Is, not is where this, it is at the moment. This is basically Rommel TV. Yeah, but it's actually done more like a vector style, so it's higher res without color, so it actually looks closer to the original arcade. And plays closer, I could be honest. This is one I would like to 639 optimize sometimes, just to speed up all the calculations there and see if we can get it running as fast as the original battle zone, smoother. Yeah. Maybe this massive Wow. While discussing it on the Dragon Owners Facebook group, a very friendly and helpful group indeed, it was suggested it could be a faulty PIA, creating lots of CPU interrupts. Wasn't the fuzzball, huh? The one connected to the key. Yeah, because basically this one runs really slow, like it takes spare, 30 so seconds to, to do anything on it. PIA so. in this, machine. this means cracking out the desoldering gun. Yeah, I won't play the whole video, but it goes through each of the four dragons to repair it and goes exactly what was wrong, how he determined what was wrong and how he fixed it. So for the people that are, you know, want to learn you know, what trouble, how to troubleshoot, uh, dragons in specific here that actually is very very useful and his photography is just beautiful yeah yeah this is like a national geographic level documentary here yeah cool stuff even played glove here for those of you who remember the uh later gauntlet clone mm. and he did this because one of the dragons he had the, the last one he actually gets into had some extra circuitry added to it which he had to figure out what it was, but from I was reading the comments that some of the people had put in the Dragon group, and apparently it's a way of doing 64K upgrade on a Dragon 32, which of course only a 32K, done totally different than any other 64K upgrade for the Dragon 32 anybody had ever seen before. He did it in a very strange way, but it worked. Okay. And I, I don't understand it all, so I'll let you guys you know determine it. But watch that for you hardware guys, or watch this and just let me know exactly what the innovation was there and how it works, because it's a little above my head. You can dumb it down for me next week. But... Uh, as a test, he actually ran Glove because Glove 
if you have 64K, we'll preload all the levels and then just run from RAM. Loading all levels 32 32K, it has to load yeah. them in as you go type thing. So see. Yeah, see that. And that is it for the news. All right. Well, uh, how much time do we have? We have about 10 minutes. I don't know if that's enough time to get one per. I don't know if that's Brian Weezer, if you even have time to tell us w- without even showing us. But can you get your can you get yours in in about ten minutes, Brian Weezer? Your update. Yeah, I can just show us a couple things real quick. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and spotlight you, and that might be all we have time for today, kids. But um, secret to showbiz: always keep the audience wanting more. Right when you <laughs> come back next week. I like the donut dilemma you have running in the background there. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Quality product placement. There you go. Yep. My check's in the mail. So. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> ah. uh, here's a little clue as to the thing I'm going to be uh, oh, uh, showing real quick. Oh, what is here. that, a Gaim X? What is a Gaim X? Gaim X, exactly. <laughs> yes. um, I had sent uh, one of my Cocoa 3s That's off right. to Mr. Ed. And uh, I had him go ahead and install a Gimme X in here with the... Oh, ah, there you go. Went, in, went ahead and uh, did the ports there. I gave him the okay to go ahead and put some holes in the case there, which he installs the That's ribbon the, cable uh, breakout here. board, yep. Yep. And, uh, whoops. and then I, I went ahead with the 8 meg version here, so you can okay. see the, yeah. there's the board and the, uh, the Gimme X in there, so... I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but uh, I'm going to fire it up here maybe this evening or this weekend here. So, Oh, James Differdaffer is asking, is, is Gymax, is that a type of watch? <laughs> New from Gymax. It's a <laughs> and then also, was that your question? I was just going to say uh, that Ed, I was talking to Ed, and he said almost everybody's going with the 8 meg. I want eight, the yeah. 8 meg too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for just a few dollars more, really, it's not that much more expensive. And then yeah. you're, you know, you're, you got a little bit of future proof there, you know, for anything coming down the road there. So, exactly. yeah, I'm going to have to actually, I think, uh, upgrade mine from the two. We're, we're all waiting on so. the Nick Morenti's Nitrous 9 ex- gaming extravaganza that will require <laughs> eight, eight megabytes. Crikey. <laughs> You'll be waiting at least a few decades for that, I'm pretty sure. I'm holding out for the Gimes X. I think it the Gimes for, X? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's for the MC10. And then uh, also this week here uh, from uh, <laughs> Jim Rice, I'm waiting for the Gymex Sinclair. <laughs> the Gymex Sinclair, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. And then, uh, no, that's fine. And then also from uh, Sheldon, uh, Sheldon McDonald, um, he has his uh, Treasure Island defense. Oh, dude, you got one. Yeah, so. And it really comes. It comes with this nice cartridge that he 3D printed. It's really pretty cool. It has kind of an interesting sort of. Uh, Oh, yeah, the rib shadow. Yeah, kind of rib pattern there. If you it looks like a Nintendo right cartridge or a Super Nintendo cartridge a little bit. Yeah. It reminds me more of the N64 cartridges. Okay. The ribs. Okay. Rib for her pleasure. Yeah, no, that looks really good. And then what's kind of <laughs> cool is he also 3D printed this uh, this case for it. Yeah, the whole oh, the case. sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. Normally that would be like cardboard or something like that. Yeah, it's locks kind of in the freshness. Yeah, <laughs> it's got that new cartridge <laughs> smell still, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, when he, before he sent it to me, he asked me if I'd be interested in a couple boards. And uh, these are some unpopulated um, disto boards. So like from the disto super controller and, uh, and what? Oh, so like, like it's just, yeah. a, are they through hole? Are they service? Yeah. yeah he, yep, he put yep, out a actual, kit. Yep, 
Yeah, or were they part of a kit? Yeah, you could get all five disto boards in the manuals for a while from Tony. Oh, yeah, okay. He was cleaning out stock. Okay. And uh, he didn't have any use for me. I wanted if I would like them, and it's like, sure. That's cool. So, so yep, got that. Um, I got a few other things I can show, but if there's somebody else that wants to take a, the last few minutes, if not, I'll burn the last few minutes here. Anybody else that's something they can show that we could show briefly? Uh, no, no, I'm, um, Brian, just move to your right a little bit. Oh, he wants to see the he, no. That's your 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 yeah. You got it. He wants to see donut disaster playing there. Oh, right here. Um, yeah. Just for a second or two. Okay, that's <laughs> Did that's anybody else have anything they wanted to talk about today? Show off, Mister Murphy. Yeah, yeah. I got a couple of three things I can do real quick. One, OS nine. The level manual two operating system manual. Yep. To quote Nick yes. Marionettes, it's the most advanced operating system ever designed. And what makes right? it so good? Ease of and, use. Uh, <laughs> use. I, I think I actually may have outdid Brian Weasler for once. Because Treasure Island Defense, both versions. So it's Treasure Island Defense. You've got a GMC version and a Coco PSG version. Ooh. So your choice of, of uh, noise. And the really cool part is that regardless of which noise choice you go with, the game itself sounds very similar between the two. So he managed to make the sound work really, really well on that. But, yeah, 3D printed cases. It's got a little tiny laminated instruction card in it that you can also get the image of. Sheldon was real nice to send one of those. So those are uh, those are pretty fun. It's a great game. But the thing I really, really wanted to show off that Rick Euland, uh, he kind of gave it away last week, is uh, my Coco has a network port now. And uh, we are working on network drivers for the Coco I.O., and uh, I've been able to successfully ping and start to configure this via assembly to go with the basic code that they already have running. So, yes, network cards cool. exist. They're working. They're getting better. Rick's doing some new cool stuff with, uh, with crazy oscilloscopes and things for it. And that's my updates. Well, that's another uh, thing to put in the pot of feature creep for the new Cocoa motherboard is we're going to need to have Ethernet in there. USB, Bluetooth, yeah. Wi-Fi, Ethernet, HDMI. <laughs> Real-time clock. Yeah. Drive-by. Drive-by. Multi-pack. TTL, RS-232, ESP. USB-3. USB-C. USB-D. USB-D. We just need a PC that runs OS 9. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, well, I, I do want to say thank you to, to all of you guys, especially to uh, Mark Bosley uh, in particular for hosting and streaming the show the past few weeks, but for the whole team and the panel to always come together and, and keep things going. Um, I had some last-minute issues a couple weeks ago that prevented me from doing it, and then I had a planned um, uh, out-of-town last weekend. So uh, I missed a couple weeks, 
but you guys kept it going and, and gave us some great shows. I really appreciate that. I've been listening to the replays and um, I like listening to the show when I'm not even on it because that's like all new to me. It's like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's neat. You know, and so um, and it does seem to translate well to audio. Like when I'm listening in the car and I listen to the audio podcast, there's very few things where I say, oh, man, I, I got to go back and and watch the video. I think you guys do a great job doing the show. So I want to thank all of you. Uh, for doing it and for everybody who's been who still comes in and watches the show because we check the numbers and the numbers are always good every week so that's great so thanks everybody for doing that um, but I just I, I hate to be selfish but if you could smell what I'm smelling coming out of my kitchen right now it's just like dude this lasagna is uh, it's, it's killing me man it's killing me uh, it's smelling so good um, you haven't so, taught her to just bring you your food on a, like a plate with a beer. Yeah, or something and I like want to sit down and you know and eat with the family <laughs> type of thing. Um, but, and mm-hmm. thanks uh, Nick Morentes for the great game this week for Donut uh, Dilemma. And thanks uh, Nick Morota's not here, but he's always doing a stellar job with our game on Challenge. Ron Delvaux with his uh, musical critiques of all the song parodies. He's always doing a great job there. Uh, so how about we play the outro and then we'll be back for final, final thoughts after this. Thanks, everybody. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Leedy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Marentes, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rondell Vaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people. All right. Well, we're back for final thoughts. And while we were playing the um, while we were playing the outro, it was decided uh, in honor of of Nick Morentes, our famous uh, Italian Australian that we have here. We're gonna do a um, an encore presentation of the Game On results, featuring the very authentic voice actor we brought in. Professional show here. We brought in an authentic Italian voice actor to do this to do the voice of Angry Angelo. So here's that encore of our Game On results. Hiya, everybody. It's-a-me, 
Angry Angelo. <laughs> and I'm here to talk to you about this week's game on results for my favorite game, Donut Dilemma. We had 16 players this week, which is about as many versions of this game has been released so far, so that's good. So let's get into the results. C. Dorissa with uh, 100 points and Mary R. Sally Alan Murphy, count 2400. Right Brian there. Wiesler, 4560. I love Diana to count. Diana Craker, 4670. Canadian Retro Things, 9690. Tom C. from Jersey, 10,290. Rich End, 11,090. Rick U, 12,250. Jim Raya, 12,390. Joshua Craker, 12,680. Mr. Dave, 17,790. Nick Marata, 17,850. Cat Lord, the 18,960. Tasman, 35,290. David Craker, 70,210. And the number one scorer this week comes as no surprise. Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. Buck Owens uh, with uh, 80,600 points. Mm. Uh, a nice job, oh, Buck. I would also like to give a special thanks uh, to uh, Ella Curtis Boyle for not uh, having uh, five minutes to play the game before supper this week. You douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, great stuff. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> really incentivized me to fuck, <laughs> fuck off, Curtis Boyle. <laughs> anyway, I have one quick announcement to make. Okay. Um, the Amigos are doing their triple threat, and they're actually in the middle of the stream right now. For they're doing, uh, they did the Sinclair show already. They just started the Atari 1200XL show. The Coco show is next, featuring Springster. So if you want to watch that live on Twitch, um, that'll be on probably within the next you know 20 minutes. On their Amigo Retro Gaming channel on Twitch, and it should automatically show up on our feed too if you're on Twitch. Um, that show will be released on YouTube later, but that'll be weeks ahead. So if you want to watch it, you know, up ahead, it'll be up pretty quick. All right, there we go. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, goodbye everybody. Goodbye. Next week. Goodbye, 